Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 289, Nunes versus Aldana. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well myself. Uh, as usual, we are less than 24 hours removed from discussing the last card, which would have been UFC Vegas 74. Uh, there was plenty to talk about there. We can only hope for as interesting a showing uh, this Saturday in Vancouver. The UFC is, of course, headed back to Canada for the first time in a while, and the card reflects it. I I'm looking at this card, and I you're familiar with this, of course, because Mrs. Schillen is Canadian, but in Canada, there's there's a regulation on their on their radio stations that requires that a certain percentage of the music on popular radio stations, you know, like the rock, pop, hip hop stations, has to be quote unquote Canadian content. It means a certain percentage of it has to be written or performed or produced by Canadian artists. So when you're up there, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> oh well, when you're up there as an American, you just end up hearing a lot of stuff that you don't recognize. And some of it is Canadian artists oh, really? that you do recognize. You know, you hear some Brian you know, Adams. Rush or Brian Adams on the classic Celine rock Dion. station. You hear some uh, Celine Dion. You hear some, like, Nickelback. But then there'll be stuff like, what, what is this? And it's not great. And you're just like, well, I guess this sounds really Canadian. <laughs> this card sounds really Canadian to me. I mean, you cannot fault the top two fights. Amanda Nunes... Uh, depending on how you, uh, depending on what your criteria are, you can call her the best fighter in the sport. You know, uh, uh, man, man is the greatest female fighter of all time. Yeah, that's she's the greatest right. female fighter that's of all right. time. That's not. Uh, right. I mean, she's unless you're Scott most, Coker. Yeah, unless you're <laughs> yeah. unless you're Scott Coker, and then the co-main event, Charles DeBronx Oliveira versus Benil Dariush. If you don't like that fight go slap yourself right now. Why are you even watching MMA? Yeah. But south of that, I'm, this is, this is a thin pay-per-view offering. Like when your third fight yeah. from the top is Mike Malott and Adam Fujit. Yeah. What the, what the Fujit on that one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Danny Gay versus Nate Landwehr is That's probably going to be a real exciting fight. Sure. I yeah, I, the UFC did everything it could to get as many Canadian fighters on here as possible. Hakeem Dawoodi was meant to be on this card, uh, you know, and and had to withdraw. But I'm not sure whether this is just the reality of UFC pay per views in the 2020s, or this is an indictment of where the Canadian talent level is right now. But there, this is rough stuff, man. I, I mean, tell me I'm wrong, or tell me if I'm wrong. Well, you're forgetting one thing, Ben, and that's the UFC is now in partnership with the WWE, and this is when we're finally going to get it. It's a big surprise. Like, wait, why is the pay why is the main event going off at like eleven thirty? Like, why? Why so weird? Why they rush everything? And all of a sudden, Anderson Silva comes out, and he's going to fight somebody, and out comes George Rush St. Pierre, and we finally get Silva Silva versus St. Pierre. That's the big oh, surprise. I, I I thought you were going to go straight like '80s wrestling, and you're gonna tell me like iron mike sharp was gonna come out and <laughs> is, he, is he is he canadian I, I, iron, I iron mike sharp was canadian yeah i was a little embarrassed last time we talked about uh 
Canadian wrestlers, and I didn't know that Roddy Roddy Piper was was a Canadian. Yeah, I was very Roddy. chained by that. As someone who's a big time '80s uh, wrestling guy, um, you know what this card feels to me? It it feels like you know if you were putting this card together, you go to you know, Sherdog Fight Finder, like okay, the main event hasn't been announced yet. Like they're working on something, uh, you know. If if you took Alex Volkanovski and Yaria Rodriguez and just threw this on the on the card as a main event, boom, then it's regular. It's, then it's a regular pay per view. Now I get some issues with some of the placement of the fights. Like, why is Imovov and Curtis so low? Why isn't that on the main card? Uh, I think you can make an argument for uh, Miranda Maverick and Jess Vicious to be on the main card. Uh, I, I mean, they they might not want to do two female fights on the on the main card or something like that, but. It, you know, that's that's just the only. It's just missing that one thing, and I, I, I legit, I feel bad for Canadian fans because you've been waiting three years. There was a time. I mean, obviously, it, it does matter who is the stars at the time. Obviously, when George St. Pierre was a star of the sport, you get more Canadian cards. Yeah, just what happens. It's why we get, you know, the, them doing cards in Australia and different places. Even after St. Pierre retired, it just seemed like the UFC decided that they were going to go with John Jones or Max Holloway. Anytime they went up to Canada, and that's, not, that's not bad either. No, I know. Yeah. What, a, what a weird connection that like, especially like Mac, I know that Max Holloway was calling it the, uh, what they, the ninth Island and all that. Yeah. Like, but, but at the same time, he's like, why are you doing this to me? It's so cold up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That didn't make sense at all. Um, but you know, it, it's why we get right now, we get more cards in like Australia, New Zealand. Then we will ten years from now when when Adesanya and Volk. I mean, obviously, I don't know if there'll be a new star from there. But there probably will yeah. be, but you get you get my point. Um, but still, to wait this long, three years, there was a lot of reports about the Canada's coming, finally coming back to Canada. You you know, we've seen what they did when they were in Montreal and Toronto. They had some like historically, like not only is it good cards, but it's good crowds. Yes, and then you kind of give them this. Like, and I know I mean, this might not have been the plans. Things happen. Guys get injured. You're you're hoping, you know, you're hoping to put a light heavyweight title fight, but then this guy gets hurt or pushed back. Like, I understand this. There's more logistics that we don't know. Well, and question. Obviously, this wasn't even intended to be Nunez versus Aldana until a month or two ago. It was That's going true. to be Nunez versus Pena three. I know that you're probably with me, and you like the fresh matchup better. But do you think the UFC is happy? Yeah, I, th- I think they're okay with it. Because it's not like there was a lot of buzz for Juliana Payne. Now, I, I think um, I think it w- would have been better timing to have Juliana Payne because then you just end the end the trilogy. You don't have Julia Like, Juliana Payne, like, she talks, but, you know, she doesn't have natural charisma where there's a lot of people who really like her. And also, Vancouver is very close. To where she oh, lives, yeah. Seattle. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a, yeah. actually, that's a good point, too. That's a really good point. So she might right now. UFC is probably like, damn, we should have had this card in Mexico. Oh, absolutely. You, yeah. you put this one in Mexico City, altitude, people wondering about oh, Nunez's yeah, cardio and the weight cut at like 7,000 oh, feet. Oh, Shit. yeah. That that might change someone's pick. You know, you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I'm taking a man in Nunez and all of a sudden you added altitude or whatever. We've seen it happen to other people. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good, really good point. I... Don't want to go too much further here, or we'll just start previewing the main event. Uh, we got 10 other fights to talk about. Uh, shall we dive into these, or you got any other general thoughts about the card first? No, let's. So I wanted to say this real quick. Um, 
actually two things I, before I forget, I want to, I already forgot the guy's name. So, you know me, I never watch other people's previews. I, and not that, not that I'm, there's a lot of previews out there. There's a lot of really good quality previews. Like it, it's not like it, it's more of when you deep in, when you dig into all these notes and all this stuff that we, we look at the fights, like for about the, like two days, I'm not going to look at, yeah, I won't watch the countdown show but about Wednesday when I'll, I'll get back into the card, you know? Um, usually when I'm putting my notes together, I have music in the background or I got uh, like some YouTube video playing. So I, I came across one. I wanted to give this guy a shout out. It was, his, it was ultimate fighting talk. I think it was called. And I apologize. I should have wrote this down, uh, but he was a young, young kid. Like he was like, he look, I, I, I'm, I hope if he sees this, I, I'm not insulting him. Like he looked like he was like 20 years old, 17. Maybe he was really young. But he was sharp. Like it was really good info that the guy gave out. So just shout out to that guy. Um, if you see this, correct me in the in the comments and put your name in there. I apologize, but yeah, I just I told him I'd give him a shout out. Uh, second, when we say this is a bad card, like yes, I still rather watch a bad card than watch a baseball game. <laughs> yes. Uh... MMA. When it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's still pretty damn good. The UFC 289 prelims kick off with a strawweight matchup between Diana Belbica and Maria Oliveira. Belbica, the 26-year-old Romanian, is 14 and 7 overall. She's 1 and 3 in the UFC. She is 1 and 1 since dropping to 115 pounds. She opened up her UFC run with a pair of losses at flyweight, dropped down and won her first fight at strawweight against Hannah Goldie by unanimous decision. Her second appearance at 115 pounds was last February at UFC Fight Night Walker versus Hill where she dropped a unanimous decision to Gloria De Paula. She will be facing Oliveira. The 26-year-old Brazilian is 13 and 6 overall. She is 1 and 2 in the UFC. She's coming off a loss. Uh, she fought most recently in November at UFC Fight Night Zechiku versus Kudalaba, where she lost a unanimous decision to Vanessa Demopoulos. Odds on this one are fairly close, but Oliveira is the slight favorite. She's minus 125. Belbitsa plus 105 uh, as the underdog. Keith. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm not super high on either of these as a prospect. I was semi-high on Belbita coming in just because of her uh, kickboxing background. But right now, I, I mean, I don't mean this to be mean, but she has a pound-for-pound pound Instagram, but that's about it. Like, like she <laughs> not showing too much, too much in the cage. Yeah, uh, tell me who you got gotta, winning this one. Yeah, I gotta get the Instagram more. I'm an old man. I do the Facebook more than I do the Instagram. Um, well, just go Instagram now because if the UFC cuts her, it'll be OnlyFans. Yeah, be there. I'll say this: she's she's a pretty dynamic striker. I'll, she's she's got some K1 experience. She's she's a Chris, you know, Chris striking good jab, throws straight shots down the middle. Uh, she keeps everything inside tight, mixes kicks well with her punches. Uh, I think she has a good kicking game, uh, but she doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, pretty good footwork. Uh, I like that she, you know, cuts angles well, sidestep in. She'll L step on the defense. Has a, a traditional Muay Thai clinch game where she gets in there, batters her knees inside. Uh, she looks still foot sweep. So while you started off with a negative, I just said super positive things about her, but 
I haven't got to the negative part, and that is she's a terrible ground fighter. Uh, I mean, poor takedown defense. I mean, Molly McCann looked like Habib Nurmagomedov against her. Like she, Molly McCann was battering her. I mean, she got submitted by Luana Jojua, who, which, uh, you know, has an that's not not a, not you know that's yeah. not Mackenzie Dern subbing you, you know. So um, well, that is it's yeah. it's Liana Jojua's only UFC win is yeah, the best way go. to put it. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure if that was her only one. Um, Maria Oliveira is. You know, long and lengthy, very similar kickboxer. Uh, she likes to work from the outside. I like her volume. She's a serviceable boxer. Like, you know, her hands are okay, but it's her kicks. Like, kicks are her game. She kicks everywhere, big calf kicks. Uh, she'll often throw kicks without a setup, which leaves her open for counters, keeps her chin high in the air. She also backs straight up on the center line, which I don't like. Um, and often she can be pressured back to the fence. Now, she was dropped by Vanessa Demopoulos on the feet, which is extremely concerning uh, in this fight. Uh, when she gets inside, though, she uses her her size well. She looks for elbows in there, wears on the clinch. She will sneak in a takedown occasionally, but she's, def- she's definitely not a grappler. But she does have a submission win, though she struggled to get off the bottom against Vanessa Demopoulos. It, this fight makes a lot of sense that it's a coin toss as you know the loser of this fight is, is, is going to the cut list. Um, Despite being the smaller fighter, I think Belvita is the better striker. Uh, she obviously she's more, the more credentialed one. However, I'm going to go with Oliveira because she's she's more well rounded, and I can see her getting to the clinch and getting a takedown. Like it make a lot of sense for her to wear on and Belvita and try to get a takedown, um, play it a little more safe. I think she's superior on the ground. So like that's one arrow between these two that I know she's superior. Um, if we have an early stoppage, it's probably um, Oliveira kitchen a submission or something, uh, but like I have zero confidence. Like I, if it stays on the feet, I think Belbita wins. But I'm gonna go with Oliveira. Um, you know, what? I'm gonna say she gets. I, I originally wrote decision, but I'm gonna say she gets a submission. I'll say Oliveira by second round submission. Yeah, I I see a lot of this fight the same way you do. My hopes, I guess, for Diana Belbita when she signed with the UFC were that she would kind of turn into the poor woman's Ariane Lipsky. And even that's a pretty modest expectation, considering that Ariane Lipsky has, has been a borderline bust. But you you pointed it out. Uh, she looks like what she is, a, a former high-level uh, kickboxer, but the ground game has just not come along. Uh, it's It's been bad. And despite her being big for the division in t- terms of just the eyeball test, just I, she's not only been unable to stop the takedown, but has been un- unable to stay out of situations where women can can try for the takedown. Like it, any UFC uh, flyweight or strawweight that has wanted to get her the, to the ground has basically been able to. I, even though these women are the same age, they're both twenty six years old. They both have roughly the same number of fights. Oliveira feels more like a prospect and a work in progress. And so even though it's been much longer since Belbita fought, if either of these women has improved a lot or shored up a lot of their weaknesses since the last time they fought, I expect it to be Oliveira. Belbita at 26 and with four UFC fights already feels like a bit of a finished product. And that finished product is not UFC level. I don't think 
I actually thought she'd been let go after her last loss, after the loss to DePaula. That was her fourth UFC fight. I thought that she had not been re-signed after her, her first four-fight deal. Either I was wrong about that or she's been re-signed, but uh, I don't think it's going to get off to a good start here. I'm with you. I, I think the striking slightly favors her if this fight is conducted entirely on the feet, but I just don't trust that to happen. Uh, Belbeats is not going to be able to avoid collisions. Those collisions are going to end in clinch situations, and those are going to end up with these women on the ground at some point. And and from there, I, I do heavily favor Oliveira. Uh, give me Oliveira by decision. Uh, and as, as you say, that might be curtains for, for Belbeats. So we'll see. Next up at UFC 289 is a flyweight matchup between David Dvorak and Steve Ursag. Dvorak, the 30-year-old Czech, is 20-5 and five overall. He is 3-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, he's on a two-fight losing streak. The first two losses of his UFC career, two losses that snapped a 16-fight win streak that had him uh, rocketing uh, up the flyweight rankings worldwide. But uh, he fought most recently back in December, dropping a unanimous decision to Manel Kopp. Prior to that, uh, he fought most recently in March, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Mateus Nicolau. So very much looking to recover some of his momentum is Dvorak. He had been scheduled to take on Matt Schnell. Uh, Schnell dropped out within the last week or so, and in steps the debuting Steve Erseg. The 27-year-old Australian is 9-1 and overall. He is on an eight-fight win streak, almost... All or almost all of it in uh, Eternal MMA, one of Australia's top two promotions. He fought most recently in February, uh, picking up a first-round submission. He steps in here on uh, about a week and a half, two weeks' notice. Dvorak had been a minus-175 favorite over Schnell. Uh, Schnell coming in around plus-140. Dvorak shoots up immediately to be the uh, biggest favorite on the card. He is minus 500, Urseg plus 385. And to Keith, who makes a point of not looking at the odds uh, going into these previews, I just tipped him off that Nunez is less than a minus 500 favorite there. <laughs> uh, Dvorak is the biggest favorite on, uh, on the card. I, I wonder what that would be if Pena didn't get that win. Who? You know yeah. What he would be? It would be a I'm sure it's nearing, nearing Shevchenko territory. It'd be minus 800, minus 900, I bet. But yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Uh, Keith, David Dvorak, man with a lot to prove. Uh, I mean, he is still in the sure dog flyweight top 15. He's like in the 15 spot, despite not having won a fight since like 2021. Do you still see any upside for this guy? Is he still a future contender? And can Steve Ursek teach us anything about him? Um, sorry, I'm still on the Diana Belbita's Instagram. No, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, do I see potential? Absolutely, I see potential. Is he a future title challenger? That's tough. There's a lot of really good quality flyweights right now. Um, uh, do we learn anything about Urkeg? Ur if I'm saying it correctly, Urkeg, yeah, Urkeg, yeah, Urkeg. If Urkeg beats him, then uh, the answer to the first two questions are no. <laughs> so I think I think there is something we learned. Um, 
you said Dvorak was going to be a, like a negative 185 favorite against, is that what you said? Negative against Snell, yeah, minus 175. Yeah, uh, 175. Uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised by that. Like, not not that he was the favorite. I just surprised it'd be that big. I thought maybe like negative 130, negative 140. Um, Dvorak, he, he's he's big for the weight class. Like, he's just a big dude. Um, I'm, I'm sure he probably struggles to get down to flyweight because how big he is. He's a long and lengthy guy. He's a counter striker. He loves that overhand right. He's got some good pop in his hands, and that's because he keeps his legs underneath him and to land power shots. He's got a big kicking game. Uh, not that much of a traditional wrestler, but we have seen him wrestle a little bit more lately. Like he he wrestled at Manel Cop when he could, took him down twice, which was smart. Pretty good at winning scrambles. Though I was surprised, I mean, going back to his UFC debut when Bruno Silva took him down three times, but I think we both agree Bruno Silva was pretty solid himself. And Dvorak is a threat on the ground. He's got eight submission wins. Now, Urseg, he's 27 years old, so you like that coming in. It's it's hard to get a grasp on his skills because he has so many quick stoppages. <laughs> you don't get to watch that much. Um, he's also a big guy. Uh, he's got some pop in his hands. I, I watched this one fight where he laid a guy out. with. He might have been the first punch he threw. Uh, though his hands aren't that quick. And he doesn't look like a great athlete. He has some defensive holes. He stands a little tall. He keeps his chin high in the air. Um, he lacks head movement. He throws He throws a lot of kicks, but a lot of them are naked. And he's going to get cracked for that. Uh, he's good on the ground, though. He's a solid wrestler. Um, some uh, I should say more of a grappler than the wrestler, but he like he, he finds ways to get the fight to the ground. And he got some slick submissions. He got six sub wins. I watched one where he jumped on a guillotine really quick. Um, taking Dvorak... In your debut on, I don't, would you say, I think you said a week and a half, two. I don't think it was even, oh, yeah, because we're, you know, we're almost a week away. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. That's, that's tough. I think, I think Ursek looks like a guy that could be UFC talent, be based on, but like I said, he's beating us so quick. It's hard to really assess him. I think he, he's more contender series avenue. Like, I don't think he was a guy that, yeah, and, and you know you could say, oh, what's the difference? I mean, there really isn't a difference. It's it's the timing. But I mean, what I mean by all that is, if there's some guys who come to UFC and you're like, look, this guy's a prospect. Doesn't need. It's, it's almost insulting to throw him on the contender series. That's not the case with Ursig. No, I think Ursig's best avenue for victory is to wrestle and catch submission. But can his cardio hold up in such a heavy wrestling game on short notice? That that I don't know. That's a big mystery. Uh, that said, I'm taking Dvorak. Uh, he's a Chris striker. I say he lands some hard shots on the feet. Uh, I think he gets it done pretty, pretty early. Actually, I think Dvorak's going to finish him. Give me Dvorak by second round TKO. Okay, let the record show that Keith is still bitter that Bo Nickel had to fight twice on the Contender Series. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. You got the Bo Nickel. Right? I was saving that one for later. Nice job. Uh, I, I'm with you here. The nice thing about someone like Steve Ursag stepping up on short notice is that all of his fights are readily available in high quality, like video format. That's a, that's a nice thing. Uh, yeah. It's just quick. <laughs> it's very quick. They're just quick. Uh, yeah. And you're right. He is, he's blown through overmatched comp uh, competition with aggression and a really nice, solid submission game. And I agree with you that on at the level of people he's been fighting, He's had he, like he's figured out ways to get the fight to the ground. 
even not even talking about the Dvorak fight, because I mean, I think barring something shocking, this is not going to be his night. But even assuming he gets two more fights in the UFC, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to get a flyweight UFC flyweight to the ground that doesn't want to go. Uh, but he, I mean, he is tall and long. He, you mentioned, you know, you said Dvorak's big. Ursek is big. Ursek is like Charles Johnson big. Like he's long torso, long arms. Like he, he's a big dude yeah, where is. Dvorak is more of the compact. I mean, I said this about Kai Car France last week where the tail of the tape doesn't really tell you kind of how big the guy is. Um, Dvorak obviously, you know, had a ton of momentum coming into his first couple of UFC fights. And that was blunted once he ran into top 10 fighters. Once he ran into Matthias Nicolau, Manel Cap, he's been generally competitive. I mean, the Manel Cop fight, it is as competitive a fight as I can think of where I gave one guy all three rounds. Like I scored all three rounds for Cop, but no, like Dvorak was there in all three rounds. He had his moments. None of the rounds was a washing the fight itself w was not a washing, but at age 30 and with a lot of experience and a kind of very defined style, this might be as good as David Dvorak gets. He might just be the gatekeeper to the top 10, where if you're a top 10 guy, you're going to get past him. It's not going to be easy. If you're not that level, he's going to, he's going to punish you. His uh, first three wins in the UFC Jordan Espinoza and Juan Camilo Ronderos are no great shakes, but the Bru beating Bruno Silva has really aged well. Oh yeah, I like, think Espinoza was a decent one at, at that time. Agreed, it was it was good at that time. Whereas Silva was whatever at the time, and now Silva's on a three fight win streak, and he himself is is uh, cruising towards yeah towards yeah. the rankings. Here, Ursek needs to get this fight to the ground. I don't think he's going to be able to, and I think Dvorak is going to exploit and expose. Urseg's deficiencies on the feet. I expect that Dvorak's just going to catch Urseg coming in with like an intercepting knee as he changes levels for a takedown, or he's just going to come in and swat him with a, a big overhand and knock him out. Uh, give me Dvorak by first round knockout here. And he's in that situation. And we talk about this uh, every, it feels like every week when you're a good fighter, and all of a sudden you get a short notice opponent and you're a minus 500 favorite. It's almost a no win situation because you're expected to run through the guy. But uh, unless Dvorak is really compromised or he's not the guy we thought he was, he should hold serve here. Yeah, I have Dvorak by first round knockout. We head now to the featherweight division for a matchup between Canada's Kyle Nelson and Blake Builder. Nelson, the 32-year-old from Ontario, is 13-5-1 overall. He is 1-4-1 in the UFC. Uh, he fought to a draw his last time out against Duho Choi. That was back at the Lewis versus Spivak fight night in February. It was a majority draw, which the majority of observers, myself included, actually thought Choi should have won. But it goes down as a draw, probably saving Nelson's job, though it's an open question whether the UFC would have re-sign them for this card anyway since uh canadian but uh yeah there but for the grace of god he'd be on a three fight losing streak he's going to try to get back on track here against builder the 32 year old minnesota native is 8-0-1 overall 
He is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He made his debut in February at UFC 284, taking a unanimous decision over Shane Young in a pretty significant upset. So he'll be looking to build on that momentum, no pun intended, and he is favored to do so. Builder, minus 220, Nelson, plus 175. Keith, there's a decent argument to be made that Kyle Nelson shouldn't be in the UFC right now. If he'd lost the decision to Choi, he probably would have been cut. I mean, he would have been one and five in the UFC. Uh, does he save his job here? How does this fight look? I mean, this is definitely a winnable fight for him. Uh, you know, um, and it's in his home country, which they always kind of get a little bit of buzz going in there. Uh, Nelson, he's a boxer who really kind of whips his overhands, uh, though his straight shots are his best blow. Uh, I'd say he's decent pop. Uh, I like that he works the body. Uh, he has some hard calf kicks, though he often throws them naked, uh, and and he doesn't throw them enough. Like he wasn't. Th- he had having success against Troy with leg kicks, and I think he should have went to that well more than he did. Uh, he can grind in the clinch. We'll sneak in the takedown. He's got four submission wins, but the two big negatives about Kyle Nelson I've seen is that he's he's a poor athlete, which obviously limits his overall skill. And then the other thing is. It's his gas tank. I mean, he's gassed against Jai Herbert. He gassed against Billy Quarantillo. Uh, in, in fairness, Billy Quarantillo gasses everyone. Um, and when you go through his record, who he's lost to, like like losing to Jai Herbert and Billy Quarantillo, uh, like those aren't those aren't bad losses. Diego Fajera on short notice in 2018. Diego, yeah, that sucks. Dude. Yeah. Uh, what's the one bad? What's the bad loss he had? He does have Matt any Sales. Bad loss. Matt Sales. Matt he's Sales. Not a great, yeah. 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 Uh, Blake Builder. He, he he's a good output striker. Like he's very classic boxer, uses footwork well to avoid shots, uh, bounces head off the center line well. Uh, even when he gets tagged, he rolls with with shots so they don't you know you don't exhaust all the power of the shot. Uh, he also pillars, which I don't like, but I, I kind of named all the levels of of defense. So he kind of does them all. Um, so you see that he's really classically boxed because you see, use him so much in in all those. Uh, you know, the matches he does and stuff. Uh, he keeps everything inside tight. Um, he, I should mention, despite having all those <laughs> defenses, he's been hurt a lot more than, than you want, especially on the regional scene. Uh, but when he gets inside, he unloads some power hooks. Uh, he's got some plus power. Uh, due to his boxing style, he doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, when pressure back, he he does do well to lower his level and, and get a takedown. And he's, he's will shoot without a setup, which is, which is a little disturbing. Um, but he's a strong grappler. He's got some slick back takes. He's got four submission wins. Um, and he does have the gas tank to go hard all 15 minutes, and he has really good volume. Um, not a lot of confidence in this pick, but I'm, I'm leaning, leaning builder. Uh, Nelson's calf kicks is probably his best avenue for victory uh, against a heavy boxer. He just it, he isn't the athlete. I think builder is the better boxer. I like his overall ground game better. I like his volume better, and I like his cardio better. So the deeper it goes in the fight, uh, the more I think Builder can do well. So I think Builder wins everywhere. Give me Builder by decision. Yeah, I'm I, I'm with you here. The first couple fights on this card, I, I, David Dvorak is individually a high-level fighter, but generally speaking, the a lot of this undercard is not super high-level fights, and this is one of them. And here... <laughs> ben, I'm still on... Belbita's Instagram page. I will never say anything negative about her. I told you. <laughs> Can I switch I'll, my pick? Pound for pound. Can I switch my pick? No. 
I think Blake Builder is probably a UFC level featherweight, even if he's not a future contender, whereas I'm pretty sure that Kyle Nelson is not. And that's kind of where I draw the line. And you pointed out the specifics. Uh, Builder throws better volume. He's much better on the ground and he has a better gas tank. Even though Nelson is going to be bigger by the eyeball test, he's a very long, lanky featherweight. I think Builder is physically stronger as well. Yeah, I just, I, everything I see here favors Builder to win. I, I wish Builder had gotten into MMA sooner. I mean, he was almost 28 at the time of his pro debut. He was 32 when he hit the UFC. And the thing is, he has a sneaky, interesting personality. He has some interesting backstory. He's a hell of a self-promoter. You can see the guy in like between his second and third pro fights, just cutting ridiculous promos and giving hilarious uh, interviews. He's got some rap songs out there. They're not good, but that almost adds to the joy of the whole thing. Yeah, I I, I think Builder's going to be a guy that I could see him becoming like a guy like Marcus Davis was like 12 or 15 years ago, where he was really dangerous for a little while and beat some good people, but he was so old when he got to the UFC level that there was, you know, uh, there was a, a limited window of time to work. Here... I also enjoy that in his debut, he went and beat Shane Young in Australia. And now I'm picking him to go beat Kyle Nelson in Canada. I just want Blake Builder to go on a world tour <laughs> and just go beat people in their home countries. Yeah, that's like, it. Send him, send him down to Brazil and have him like bust up Moicano or somebody. Like, you know, UFC goes to Sweden. Like, yeah, just put Blake Builder on like the spoiler tour. <laughs> the uh, common San Diego of, yeah. of UFC. <laughs> Where in the world is Blake Builder? Uh, I, I got Builder by decision here, but if Nelson really starts to fade late, wouldn't surprise me if Builder jumps on him and chokes him out in the third uh, in the third round either. In fact, give me that. Give me Builder by third round submission. I could see him just getting an arm triangle on an exhausted Nelson uh, in, in the third round. So yeah, Builder sub round three. We should uh, Builder. Who's that? Who's the other guy that wraps the uh, Brian? What's his name? Long Island guy. Kelleher. Brian Kelleher. <laughs> like <laughs> Kelleher, Builder, no. and and uh the Russian one, the, the Russian guy. Uh you know the one that the guy he raps the Russian. I I can't think of him. Like right now I'm thinking of uh yeah, Bryce Mitchell raps. Oh, Bryce Mitchell's yeah, actually good. No, that's the weird thing. <laughs> of all that Bryce Mitchell <laughs> can can barely speak a coherent sentence, but he's a good rapper. It's wild. <laughs> Oh, Alexander Yakovlev. He, Alexander he, Yakovlev yeah. rapped. I had yeah, no he raps. He's got a like music video and everything. Is it is it terrible? Huh? Is it terrible? Uh, I mean, it's in Russian, so I mean, I, I don't know. All right. Next up at UFC 289, Keith, what would you rather witness? A three-way rap battle between Blake Builder, Brian Kelleher, and Alexander Yakovlev, or a fight between Eamon Zahabi and Al Ricci Leg? <laughs> um, I think I'd rather see Eamon Zahabi and Ricci Leg have a rap battle against each other. Just one dude rapping in French, the other one in Chinese. I, I'm down. Yeah. We got to, uh, I don't know if it's possible, we got to get uh, like a, a builder rap 
uh, the, you know, the exit song. We got to have him rapping at the end, or, or one of these guys, Yokolov's rap song. Make it I'm, happen, then. If if the UFC were KSW, one of those dudes would have wrapped himself out to the cage by now. <laughs> like, anyway. Unfortunately, I offered you a choice that it's not really within my power to grant. What we have is a fight between Zahabi and Aurichi Lang. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, Zahabi, the 35-year-old Canadian, is 9-2 and two overall. He's 3-2 and two in the UFC. He's on a two-fight win streak. Uh, he fought once in 2021, knocking out Greco Rodriguez. He fought once in 2022. Back in July, taking a unanimous decision over Ricky Tercios. He'll look to make it three in a row and keep up his one fight per year clip against uh, Chileng. The 29-year-old from Inner Mongolia is 24-9 and nine overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. He dropped his first two, uh, both in 2021. Came back last year and won both of his fights, uh, knocking out Cameron Else and taking a unanimous decision over Jay Perrin at UFC 278 in August. So uh, he also looking to make three wins in a row in the UFC. He is a slight favorite to do so. Alrichi Lang minus one thirty, Zahabi minus one ten, or sorry, Zahabi plus one ten uh, as the slight underdog. Keith, uh, when you have a matchup of unranked fighters on the UFC undercard, whether it be a whether it be a fight night or a pay-per-view a regular pay-per-view or one of the biggest ones of the year the best you can hope for is that at least one of the unranked guys is a prospect that you're excited about and might be ranked one day or that the fight at least promises fireworks it's one or both of them are designated action fighters you can't really say either of those things about this fight uh tell me what is good about this fight and, and who you think wins um yeah. So Eamon Sahabi, it's it's tough grasping this guy because I think of him as, as a prospect, and then you realize he's 35, and it's because he only has five fights in the UFC, but he hasn't won every year. So he still seems kind of new to me. And you're like, oh my God, no, like he's he's at the point where he should be in a decline, especially at that weight class, um, simply because he just never fights. Uh when he does, he's a boxer, he's he's a technically sound he's a traditional um you know a zahabi type prodigy you know where it's it's work behind a jab follow up with punches down the pipe he, he did show some power against uh, uh rodriguez though um I, I wouldn't count on it and sometimes it, the issue with him is his output like he can be really low output single strikes uh he keeps his head a little high he lacks head movement uh, he has good kicks but again, he doesn't throw them enough. Uh, his calf kicks are probably the best part of his game. Uh, he does like to close the distance and battle the clinch. Um, his his Muay Thai style of striking, you know, uh, helps him in the clinch because he has that like traditional Muay Thai plumb clinch. Uh, he will wrestle, but he doesn't have a wrestling background, so he's you know he'll get to the fight to the ground, but he's not going to take down strong wrestlers. He's probably weak defensively. Uh, with his wrestling he, he's he is good at keeping his hips moving and kind of creating some separation to get back to his feet i give him that and he is, is a little bit of a submission threat now uh richie lang he's he's a he's a big bantamweight uh he's 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 long and lengthy he's an accurate striker he hits hard uh, really steps into his shots um go back to like jeff molina uh, he hurt jeff molina which is um 
regardless of how you feel about Jeff Lane, Jeff Lane is a, is a solid fighter. Jeff so. Lane is on like an 11 fight win streak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even realize it was that bad. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember like the whole, um, glory MMA and the betting and, and yeah. you know, all that stuff that, that hit controversy and, um, he, he's, he's, and, and there's other stuff. I'm not going to get the other stuff, but, uh, long range kicker. Um, he, he, he likes to throw a flying knee to close the distance. Uh, he, he, he will use his size in the clinch, um, and, and look for some takedowns himself, upper body takedowns, throws. Uh, he he showed some wrestling against Jeff Molina, uh, landed some really good hard ground and pound against uh, Cameron Else Else or Else. I always say his name. Uh, he, he showed some decent takedown events against Cody Durden, which is a which has aged well because Cody Durden's had a nice run himself, uh, but he has still been you know he was still taking down like Cody Durden five times. So um, and. He, he can go hard for 15 minutes, which I like. It, it would be smart if it's a hobby wrestles. I, even though I talk, I just talked about some uh, reach Erling's defensive wrestling. I still favor a hobby there, but I'm, I'm, I'm going with a Richie Lang. Um, neither guy really presses the action, but a Richie Lang is at the age where he can still improve. And so hobby's at the age where he's probably going to see a decline. Uh, he hits harder of the two, like he hits harder than Zahabi. So give me a rich lane to land the better shots. And I say he wins a, 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 I'll say he wins a decision. Yeah. I, I wish I had some other analysis to offer here, some other angle, but I see it exactly the same as you do. It's with Zahabi. You pointed out that he feels like he should still be a prospect, but he's 35 years old and he's been in the UFC for over six years. Now he has five fights in six years. Uh, I mean, he was a borderline prospect at some point and he has good individual skills, but they've never come together. And you mentioned that at this point, as a 35 year old Bantamweight, you have to wonder if the top gear has slipped a little bit. The athleticism that already wasn't off the charts is starting to decline. And on top of that, when you're talking about a guy that fights once a year. And I mean, honestly, do you think he would have fought this year if the UFC hadn't gone to Canada? Maybe not. You also have to wonder what's his level of commitment to fighting. Not only is he probably not adding new wrinkles or addressing his flaws, but like, is he just slipping in terms of skills at this point? It's hard to have any confidence in, uh, in Zahabi and with Auri Tilang, I think we we've probably kind of seen him top out as a UFC fighter, but what he's got is enough to beat Zahabi. Uh, I, I just have more confidence in him just about everywhere. I expect that he will apply some offensive wrestling here, gets a hobby down a couple times, chip away, do enough damage to win rounds, not get stood back up. It probably won't be a super pretty fight, uh, but give me Ari Chilang probably to win all three rounds. We head now to the women's flyweight division for a matchup between Miranda Maverick and Jasmine Yazdavisius. Maverick, the 25-year-old Missouri native, uh, by way of 
Virginia, I believe, is 11 and four overall. She is four and two in the UFC. She's on a two fight win streak, uh, fought twice last year, winning both times. She choked out Sabina Mazo in March and then came back in November at UFC fight night, Rodriguez versus Lemos, and took a unanimous decision over Shana Young. She will look to make it three in a row against Yazdavisius. The 34 year old Canadian is eight and two overall. She's two and one since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. She is coming off a win as well, a unanimous decision over Gabriela Fernandez at uh, UFC Fight Night, Mooney's versus Allen back in February. Odds here, Maverick, a prohibitive favorite. She is minus 300. Yazdavisi is plus 240. I, I see this as a meeting of two fighters where my perceptions of them at least are kind of meeting in the middle because I was very high on Miranda Maverick as a prospect going back to her days in Invicta where, I mean, she lost a couple fights, but they were to bigger, much more experienced women, older women and like Brogan Walker, Deanna Bennett. And when she got to the UFC and, you know, uh, won her first couple and she beat Pearl Gonzalez on her, on her way out of Invicta, which was a pretty good win at the time. I had her right up there in the bucket with Macy Barber, Aaron Blanchfield, uh, this um, Manon Fior uh, arrived around the same time since I mean, she's, she's had setbacks to Barber and Blanchfield. I've stepped back a little bit on Maverick though. I still think of her pretty highly, but you know, if you'd asked me in 2020 or 2021, I might have called her the the class of the bunch, even over Blanchfield. Like, I didn't come around on Blanchfield uh, quite as quickly as you did. The Azdevisius, on the other hand, I really underestimated. You know, coming, like, even coming into, the, yeah, and coming into the Contender Series, I just, I remember, I don't know what duties I had but I must have had some because I remember doing tape study on her ahead of her contender series fight. And I watched her lose to Elise Reed in CFFC. It's like, okay, she's not going to win on the contender series. And if she does, she's not going to do anything in the UFC. And I was, and I was wrong. Uh, Hold on a second. In fairness, Elise Reed has phenomenal hand speed. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Sanko, you already got the job. Don't start doing that now. Yeah. Oh, shout out to uh, our great friend, Laura Sanko. Oh, Laura Sanko is amazing, but it was just funny because she normally doesn't go in for that kind of thing. But yeah, the, the, the blistering, you know, 1999 Vitor Belfort-esque hand speed of Elise Reed. Anyway, uh, I understand why Maverick is a favorite here. I am shocked that the line is what it is because here's the thing. Maverick is a better athlete than Niazdevicius. Yep. The best individual skill either one of them probably has is Maverick's uh, striking, specifically, you know, her kicking game. But Maverick will have to fight an incredibly disciplined fight to beat Niazdevicius. And here's why. Maverick, and the other woman I often say this about is Norma Dumont, where Maverick presents as a striker. You know, Norma Dumont has herself announced as a Sanda practitioner. She stands like a Sanda practitioner. But as soon as the bullets start flying, you can tell that she wants to clinch and wrestle. It's just, it's her instinct. Maverick is the same. Maverick is a Muay Thai fighter. She throws Muay Thai style kicks. She stands like a Muay Thai fighter. But once the bullets start flying, uh, like her, her safe place just, Whatever it is in, in her mind, like she, like she ends up wanting 
to clinch and wrestle and have like her hands and like be on the other woman. Maybe it's a reaction to always being the shorter fighter. I, I don't know what it is, but that's, if she does that, that is handing as Davisius pretty much the only way, or at least the easiest way she win this fight. Yes. is is a much larger woman. Who's a very good wrestler. Uh, because of that, if Maverick wins this fight, she's going to have to strike from outside with someone who is slower. Like Diaz de Vicius is, you know, has slower hand and foot speed. Her footwork is not as good. Maverick can win an out striking battle with Diaz de Vicius. If she picks her spots, she probably can clinch and do damage there. But I'm actually not seeing that as the the main chance here. I I didn't think it was going to be this big an upset when I sort of started digging into it, but I have Yazdavisius to win a decision here. I, I don't trust Maverick to fight as disciplined uh, a fight as she's going to need to to win two rounds out of three against Yazdavisius. Give me Maverick to probably run into clinch exchanges where uh, she's getting smothered by the taller woman Jezdavisi is probably getting Maverick down on the ground and being able to, to set up shop there again, do stay busy enough, do enough damage to keep from being stood up and therefore prevent Maverick from doing the things that would win her the fight, namely kicking Jezdavisi from range. So uh, give me Jezdavisi by decision in a pretty big upset. Yeah, I like that pick. I, I think the odds are way off too. I agree. Um, I understand why Maverick is a favorite, but uh, if you told me, you know, if you asked me to set the line, um, I would have put her at like negative one forty. Like, not not as massive a favorite as, as she is. So I, I agree with you there. Um, the thing I'll say about Maverick, you, you talked about her as this, you know, prospect where you're, you know, you're high on, and now you might not be as high anymore. One thing I'll say, she's still only twenty five. Like, mm-hmm. she's she's still really young. And she, you know, when she was fighting in the UFC, she was like getting her master's degree and all this. Yeah. So she's done with that. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she makes huge jumps and improvements. Um, so I still think she's a strong prospect in a, in a budding division. Uh, she's very athletic, southpaw with that karate style. Um, she's a kickboxer that she, she keeps her chin a little too high for my liking, but she's pretty elusive. Um, stick and move style. She, she likes to get in, land some shots and get out before you get encountered. Uh, she attacks with combinations. She was loading up a little in her last fight. So um, wasn't landing as clean, which I hope she fixed that. She has a karate background. She loves keeping her distance with that Holly Holmes side, like push kick. Uh, she can throw some naked leg kicks. And if you just look at her, I mean, she's physically strong. I mean, she's, she's, she's yes. jacked. Um, she gets to the clinch. You mentioned she likes to wrestle, wear on her opponents. Uh, she's mean inside, too. Like, go back to, like, the JoJo fight where she bust her up, brutalized her with an elbow. Again, not the best one. Uh, I'd say she's pretty well-rounded. She can wrestle. She's got some good entries, some strong, very strong on top. Um, it, it's almost elite, I'd say. Like, she gets that Dagestani handcuff. Uh, she really stresses position and then doing the damage, then going for the submission. Um, she beat up a good grappler in, in Jillian Robinson in, in big exchanges, though um, I think Aaron Blanchard showed that she still has some huge room for growth as as Blanchfield smoked her on the ground. It wasn't a, wasn't a competitive fight at all. Uh, but if she's on top, she has some good mean ground pounds, has some slicks 
back takes against Sabina Mazo. She is a th- submission threat. She has five subs, uh, though she will lose position to chase a submission. Um, another thing is she's been taken down. Like a lot of females have taken her down, and she gassed a little bit. Like I, I thought she beat Barbara, but she also gassed out late. Uh, Jess Vicious, massive flyweight, long, lengthy, physically strong, fights at a high pace. But doesn't like being pushed back herself. She wants to be the one pushing their opponent back. Works behind a jag, jab. Stand, stands tall, making herself a big target. And she has been hurt to the body because of how high she stands up. Uh, but when she gets to the clinch, I mean, she just like pressures. She uses her height really well to land knees and batter opponent. Uh, and she's getting there because she wants to eventually get the fight to the ground. Body lock takedowns, trip takedowns. Got very, very heavy to top game. It's a mean grind and pound. Um, the one concern on the ground, she only has one submission. Uh Vicious, she has, like, I see what you're seeing. Like, she has all the physical tools. I mean, she's super strong. Um, I was on the fence, you know. Um, Maverick is tough because one fight, you're like, you're scratching your head, and you're like, man, I thought she was better than this. And then other fights, she looks spectacular. And you're like, oh, yeah, she's she's a future star. Uh, Jasavijas is one of these ones where she's going to grind out. She puts herself in position to win matches that she's not better fighter than the person because she sticks to her game plan. And I, obviously her game plan is going to be close the distance against Miranda Maverick, try to get her down. And I, I think she's going to have some success there. But if Maverick can keep it on the feet, I think she hits harder. She's definitely the more complete kicking game. I think she's the better, f- even though Jasavijas will try to get the fight to the ground. and if it does hit the ground, I actually think it might be Jazavicious on top. I actually think Miranda Maverick's a better wrestler. If she if she keeps in the mind, I'm going to wrestle instead of trying to strike with her. Uh, she's she's a bull on top. I'm with you. Like this is super close. Like um, I just I keep going back to that age of Maverick and saying, you know, we we've we're judging her on being a part time fighter at. 23, you know, the athleticism, the speed. Like, if someone blows the other one out, it's Maverick. Yeah. You know, if we get a 10 8 round, it's Maverick. Um, if we get a split decision where we're debating the decision, that's that's the fight Jesse Visitors wins. You know, like, I'm saying, obviously, Maverick can win that one too, but I'm, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, Jesse doesn't blow the dolls off her. So, because of that, I'm still going to go with the upside. Um, but I'm with you, man. Like if I'm if I'm a betting, I'm, I'm betting at Jess Vizius. Getting that kind of like odds on a fight that I think really should be a pick 'em because of Jazz Vizius style. So I'll take Maverick. I'll sit with not much confidence. So I'll take Maverick by split decision. All right. We have our first little bit of disagreement. Next up at UFC 289, and at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim is a middleweight matchup between Nasruddin Imovov and Chris Curtis. Imovov, the 28-year-old Russian by way of France, is 12-4 and overall. He is 4-2 and in the UFC. He is coming off of a loss. Uh, he fought back in January in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 217, dropping a unanimous decision across five rounds to Sean Strickland. Prior to that, he had won three straight over Ian Heinish, Edmund Shabazian, and Joaquin Buckley. So he will look to get things back on track against uh, Curtis, who is looking to regain his positive momentum as well. The 
35-year-old Ohio native, is 30-10 and 10 overall. He is also 4-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, he most recently fought at UFC 287 back in April, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Kelvin Gasolum. Prior to that, he had knocked out Joaquin Buckley in the second round at UFC 282 last December. Odds here? Find Imovov a slight to moderate favorite. He's out there around minus 145 or so. Curtis available at plus 120. Keith, uh, who you got in this one? And how do you see this one playing out? Um, I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's one of the best fights on the card, obviously from ranking sense, but also um, stylistically. Um, obviously, Imov lost a little bit of shine losing to Strickland, especially taking on Strickland, who was coming in on short notice. Um, like really short notice. We, we previewed the Gaslam fight, um, but he's he's still a good athlete. He's elusive. He moves well. The problem in that fight, and I think you could, I think you can give him a little bit. Of, like I don't want to give him a pass all the way, but you can give him a little bit of pass. That yeah, he, you know, it's it's never good to be the guy who's you know, booked for the fight and you're taking on a guy who's taking the fight on short notice. It's like, it, it always still looks worse for you because you should be the one to win. But there is some truth to it that, yeah, he, he only got three, four days to prepare for fight, but I only had three, four days to pre- prepare for him. So I think there is some truth to that. Like, um, and especially if the guy's style is much different. And and uh, the guy stepping in on short notice, he may have even been ranked higher. Yeah, yeah, he's way better than yeah. Gaslam coming off a long layoff and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a pretty poised striker. He's a counter striker. He, he keeps his hands low, but his hands are fast. Uh, nice snap on his punches. I love his like step back uh, fade right hand that he does. Uh, he's got some plus power. I mean, we've seen him smash some good guys, Phil Hawes, Ian Heinish. Like he hurt both those guys. He's a he's a solid wrestler. And I actually think he needs to wrestle some more. When he commits to his wrestling, he's pretty relentless. Take it. He he chains uh, attempts together well, which is which is something I think he needs to go to uh, and wrestle more. A strong top game. He got some mean grind and pound. Um, we saw him beat up Ian Heinish from on top. He beat up Edmund Shabazz. He beat up Shabazz bad uh, from on top. He has a submission threat. Uh, he showed some improved takedown defense against Ian Heinish. But a big concern I have, and in, in, uh, I think a lot of people have been saying this, is um, in, after his last fight, <coughs> excuse me, against Strickland, he slowed down in that fight. And the pressure got to him, and he slowed down in other fights. And that's concerning, especially against a guy like Chris Curtis. Like he, Curtis ain't going to slow down. Um, Curtis is an undersized middleweight. He's a southpaw with some crisp boxing. Uh, he's a also a counter-striker, but he's a pressure counter-striker. He likes to move forward, trying to get into the pocket, wait for you to unload, slides by something, and then he lands some tight, clean boxing. He likes a lot of hooks, a lot of uppercuts. He's one of the best body workers in the game. Like We saw that against Hadafo Vieira, where he was just digging that left hook to the body. Uh, very, I mean, I, I, I have my notes, underrated power. I don't know if that's the case anyway. I mean, he's knocked out some good guys so far in the UFC. Hurt some really good guys. Uh, he did struggle. but Probably his worst showing was probably that Jack Manson fight in where he struggled to cut, cut off the cage. Manson's movement was, was a little too much for him. Uh, he sometimes cannot match his opponent's output too and give away rounds. Um, he did this against Calvin Gastelum. He gave away a round. 
Um, I know there's some controversy with the headbutt and everything, like, and, and I think there's some truth to that. But um, joking Buckley, even though he knocked out Buckley in the first round, he kind of gave away by just simply not matching his output. And, and some of that could be looking for reads and, and stuff. I mean, we, with other guys who've been historically slow starters, like like John Jones and Anderson Silva. Um, another thing he has going for him is he has such a boxing style that the optics aren't good. And what I mean by that is like one thing he likes to do is he likes to roll with punches. So it's still it's hitting your hands, it's hitting you a little bit. So it never really looks good. So it makes it almost look like you're losing. Now he can wrestle, but he hardly ever looks for takedowns. Um, almost never offense wrestle. But I've seen him, and he's he's got some good top game. Uh, he shows he shows some really good takedown defense against Hadafo Vieira, uh, and he has the he has the cardio to go all 15 minutes um, because he th- he. Yeah, you know, once his output is usually not the best, but also like he doesn't even his punches when he's throwing like hooks, they're not looping, they're not uh really um over exaggerated. So uh the line is really close and I, I get that. I, I, I like both guys. I mean they're both ranked fighters. Um the big surprise to me is why is this fight on the prelos? Like it 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 should be over Andre Barrio and and Eric Anders. It should be over Malat and Fugit. It should be and over Egan Lamware. Yeah, yeah. It probably should be third from the top. Um, I mean, Emma's <laughs> last fight was in the main event, <laughs> so <laughs> um, and now he's, you know, on the prelims of not the best pay per view. Uh, I think this is a tough one. I, I am going Emovov. He's bigger. He's longer. He's faster. He has more tools like he uses more of his limbs bigger kicking game more knees um he's the better offensive wrestler um but i don't know if he's a better straight wrestler but he's a guy who will look to wrestle more i should say uh curtis is going to need to get in the pocket he's going to need to unload he's going to need to cut off the cage um he's you know getting past his jab which is going to be a hard thing to do um with someone like him who moves and then jabs uh i think this fight he looks a lot like the Hermanson Curtis fight where he Curtis is struggling to get in the inside and, and, and Imbos landing from distance though. A big concern I have, uh, if Imbos slows down, Curtis has the power to put him out, especially, you know, late second, early third round, Curtis could catch him, but I'm going to go with Imbos. I'm going to say he was by decision. I feel basically identically about this fight as you do. Imbos gas tank is a concern but it's for me, it's mostly a concern when I'm considering whether he is a future title contender at 185. It was disturbing to watch him lose the fight to Strickland the way he did, because yeah, it was his first five round fight in the UFC and it may have been his first five round fight period, but also he didn't have to make his full weight cut. He was allowed to, he weighed in at like 195 or something for that. Once uh, Strickland stepped in, they were just like, you know, don't bother making 185. And he's and he's still gassed out. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. And he gassed out against a, a guy in Strickland that, I mean, it was a pretty high-paced fight, but it wasn't this withering pace. It was... Well, steady. But, it was steady. steady. It was like, it, was like uh, it wasn't a sprint, but it was like a it was like a guy who runs a 5K, but he's like leading the pack of the 5K. Like, he's still yeah. jogging, but he's he's moving. <laughs> it's, that's a, a good way of putting it. If Imovov's gas tank abandons him, if it abandons him early enough, 
Curtis is super dangerous and can absolutely put him away and is a poised veteran that you mentioned that a lot of times Curtis will cost himself by not throwing sufficient volume. But having said that, when he sees an opportunity, he's very good at recognizing when his opponents hurt, putting the screws to him and not letting them get away. So that's absolutely possible. I'm picking Imavov by uh, decision here, but my second most likely outcome would be Curtis by decision where he wins the second and third rounds. Third most likely would be Curtis by a third round stoppage. But I'm with you. I'm going with the slight favorite here, uh, Imavov. And by the middle of the second round, I think we'll, we'll know whether we were right or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think think, think it was a good point about, yeah, Curtis can give away rounds, but then I I think you're right. Like he is, he's opportunistic. I, I think that's a good point. The five-fight main card of UFC 289 opens up with a middleweight matchup between Marc-Andre Berrio and Eric Anders. Berrio, the 33-year-old Canadian, is 15-6 and six with one no contest overall. He is 4-6 and six with one no contest since joining the UFC as a former middleweight and light heavyweight champ in Canada's TKO promotion. He won his last time out. It was at UFC 285 back in March where he got a second round TKO of Julian Marquez. He will look to make it two in a row against Anders, who uh, is also looking for his second win in a row. The 36-year-old American is 15-7 and seven with one no contest overall. He is an even 7-7 seven and seven with one no contest in the UFC. His most recent outing was back in December at UFC on ESPN, Thompson versus Holland, where he knocked out Kyle Dawkins in the second round. That allowed him to bounce back from back-to-back losses to Andre Muniz and Junyong Park. Odds here favor the uh, man from Quebec. He is minus 150, Anders plus 120 or so on the comeback. Keith, I don't know if you knew this, but Eric Anders used to play football, American football, uh, American rules football. He played, uh, you know, for a a well-known university with a strong program that wins national titles from time to time. Uh, Boston College? Yes, Boston Boston College wins hockey titles from time to time. Uh, uh, And that's about as relevant as saying that 36-year-old Eric Anders used to play linebacker for Alabama. Uh, According to most people's expectations, he's probably underperformed a little bit in the UFC, whereas Marc-Andre Berrio could very easily have been cut back in 2019 on the tail end of his third straight loss. And since then, he's actually kind of turned the corner and and been pretty solid who wins this one are these guys on the two escalators passing each other uh yeah. you know like <laughs> how's, I, i'm how's, trying to make this sound interesting yeah how's how's barrio as a, as a linebacker like how he how would he do i expect he'd do pretty good i i mean i, I he's probably slow actually he strikes yeah. me as a guy that's not a fast runner no he's probably good at curling though like he's probably, he's probably got that like he he's definitely one of those sweepers. Like he's sweeping yeah. like crazy. <laughs> I, I'm trying to to drum up some interest in, in this thing because th- this is a rocky way to open up the card. <laughs> yeah. You pointed out that the Imovov versus Curtis fight that precedes this one and tops the prelims is a much better fight in the same division and is more likely to be exciting. But yeah, I mean, tell I, me how I, you well, think this one plays out. Burial fight's pretty exciting. You know, it, it's Anders that that can be you know low output, you know, plotting slower. Uh, he's a southpaw. 
But in fairness, his output was much better against Kyle Dawkins. Um, now, he throws a lot of the same combination, just kind of winging an overhand left. Uh, and I definitely think his power is greatly exaggerated. Uh, and it, it has a lot to do with him being a football player 15 years ago. That he, you know, this huge power, and it's like, well, not really. He doesn't knock that many people out. Uh, but it finished, again, he did knock out Kyle Dawkins. But I I feel, and, and tell me if you agree with this, I feel like, like that says more about Dawkins right now. Like Dawkins looks shot than Anders being this you know, suddenly a knockout artist. I agree. And even so, it's not like he sent him to, you know, the astral plane with one punch. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a Mark McGuire triple deck at the sky dome. It was, uh, you know, one that just got over the fence at at the little league field, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, he, he's Anders is, he's very hittable. He's been cracked a lot. I mean, I go back to like the Tiago Santos fight where he took like, Oh my God, the amount of damage he took in that fight. Um, Plus, plus, I mean, we yeah, we talk about him being a f- football player and stands irrelevant, but the damage he's taken in football isn't, you know, just you know, just not not getting controversial with CT and all that stuff, but but also just tackles, you know, landing on your elbow, landing on your shoulder, landing on you know, everybody who's played football has had at least some kind of sur- surgery oh, or something. And I know. don't think, I mean, it's not controversial to say that CTE is a thing, and. It's not like Anders woke up at age 19 and was like, I want to play football for Alabama. He no. was a highly touted prospect sure. who'd been playing in pads and a helmet since the time he was 13. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, if anything, he's probably just crossed over to the point where he's taken more damage, quote unquote, in MMA than in football. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that we, that we don't talk about, Anders, like we talk about like his strike, and I say we, I mean the UFC broadcast, is – he's an underrated grappler. Like he gets a lot of takedowns. Um, he likes to get in close, like grab like a snatch single. Um, he's got some strong takedown defense because he's got such a, you know, a wide base uh, though. He was subbed by Andre Muniz, but that, I think that says more about Muniz than, than Anders. Um, uh, Mark Andre Barrio, he's a high pressure fighter. He fights with volume, um, can fight out of both stances. He's constantly pressing the action on his foe. He throws hard. He has nice power. He unloads combos when he gets in the pocket. Um, his straight right is his best blow. Um, he's. It's funny because they won't talk about Barrios' power like they'll talk about Anders, but I actually think he's the harder hitter of the two. Um, he throws some hard calf kicks. Uh, he he wants to be pressing forward, though. Like he, Pressure has got to him. Like Anthony Hernandez, pressure got to him, and that's what Anthony Hernandez – I mean, we've – we're we're on the Anthony Hernandez bandwagon, especially yeah. I, I know I am at least. Uh, he he has some defensive holes. He pillars when striking. Uh, he will shoot a takedown, but he, he's definitely not a strong wrestler. But he showed some solid takedown defense against uh, Jaco, uh, and but he couldn't stop the wrestling of Anthony Hernandez. But again, Hernandez is a stud, uh, and he couldn't get off the bottom. But cardio is a good thing. Like even though he presses a really hard pace, he can fight hard all fifteen minutes. Uh, I haven't got excited for an Anders fight in a really long time. Uh, Barrio, on the other hand, he isn't—he isn't as talented, I'd say, as Anders, but he puts himself in a position to win due to his uh, nonstop pressing action. Uh, Barrio's going to have to need to avoid some power shots from Anders. He's going to need to avoid the clinch. He's going to need to avoid some takedowns. Um, hopefully, get kind of get into that uh, mid-range and have a mid-range boxing battle. Uh, I think we both. You know, I think we get a little bit of back and forth between both guys. Both guys getting hurt, but I'm gonna go. Um, you said 
Anders is no. Who who do you say is a slight favorite? Barrio is minus one fifty or so. Anders oh, around wow. plus one twenty. Oh wow! I I thought this was pretty much be a pick 'em. I'm sorry about that. Um, I mean, usually when when you're giving the rundown, I'm I'm still organizing my notes a little bit. Um, you're still looking at the Annabelle beats, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. You got me there. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Barrio due to his volume. Give me Barrio by decision. Yeah, I wish there were more disagreement here, just to kind of spice things up for for our our friends. But whatever corner it is that Barrio turned in uh, about three years ago at this point, like after the the no contest against Pia Hoda, he shows the same basic skills. He takes the same basic approach, but it's just panned out a lot better for him. And it's not like he's taken a, a step away in competition. He's still fighting the same kind of basic not ranked, but solid middleweights. But all of a sudden, he's more of a finisher. He's, I, I guess, he he fights with a greater sense of urgency. Is, is all I can say. It's say it's, and I hate citing intangibles as the reason the fighter got better. Because again, usually, the better fighter wins, regardless of of who was hungrier or who you know you know, who, who loves their kids more, you know, if you're watching Dana White's contender series, you know, they're all like, I'm, I'm fighting for my daughter or whatever, but he's just all of a sudden taking the same basic approach, same basic skill set, same basic physicality and started beating pretty good uh, middleweights. You can't say that about Anders. I feel as though uh, Anders winning or losing is still just very much subject to who his opponent is that night. The last, like the last time Anders really surprised me by winning a fight, probably Gerald Mearshart a couple of years ago. Like I figured Anders would make a mistake and Mearshart would, would get a, a guillotine on him. Some were in the middle of the fight and he actually fought a really focused fight and, and beat Mearshart. That's the last time Anders really surprised me. Other than that, I feel as though I've, I've been pretty good at picking his fights for the last few years. And here I'm picking Barrio to win. Uh, the longer the fight goes, I think it favors Barrio. Uh, just as the fighter with the, the better gas tank who is less mistake prone. And regardless of what the UFC booth is going to tell you, Anders isn't a threat to finish this with one punch at any moment. So yeah, I think the general dynamic of this fight favors Barrio. Uh, give me Barrio to win a decision here. And I just hope it's fun. If, if you beat Eric Anders, you should get like uh, Alabama, like one of those, honorary degrees from them <laughs> like if someone speaks and they get like an honorary like you be anders there you go <laughs> i don't even know if anders has a degree from from alabama i don't no. know if he like stayed and, and graduated so that'd be a bummer if all those people were getting like honorary degrees off he of them and he have doesn't one. have one. <laughs> was i mean i know he he was was he like i know like he played and i know he started everything but was he was he like NFL like draft or anything like that? No, he what, I, would he have like what he, he wouldn't have had a reason to leave early. No, like he probably did go all four years, but that doesn't guarantee. Right? <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I, I spent like six, I spent six years in college and didn't graduate. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I laugh, but it's sad. All right, yeah, we're, we're, dis, we're dissing him and we'll find out he has like uh seven degrees or something, he's got a doctorate <laughs> or something. <laughs> The UFC 289 main card powers on with a featherweight matchup between Dan Ige and Nate Landwehr. 
Ige, the 31-year-old Hawaiian by way of Las Vegas, is 16-6 and six overall. He is 8-5 and five since joining the UFC out of the very first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He did win his last time out. Uh, fought most recently at the uh, Strickland versus Imovov card back in January, in fact, and uh, did his part to depopulate Texas by flatlining Damon Jackson in the second round. Prior to that, Ige had lost three straight, though in his defense, those were against Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett, and Movsar Evloev. So he's looking to keep the good vibes going at the expense of Landwehr. The 34-year-old Tennessee native is 17-4 and four overall. He's 4-2 and two since joining the UFC as a former M1 global featherweight champ. He is on a three-fight win streak. Uh, since getting knocked out in like a minute by Julian Arosa back in February of 2021, he has a submission of Ludovic Klein, a decision win over David Onama, and a second-round submission of Austin Lingo. The most recent of those, the Lingo fight, was at the Vera versus Sandhagen card back in March. So he's looking to make it an improbable four straight for a guy that came into the UFC with relatively modest expectations, and he is not favored to get it done. Ige is a massive favorite, minus 260, Landwehr plus 220. I feel as though I feel bad calling Dan Ige a gatekeeper. No, I mean, no fighter likes to be called that. They, you know, because every fighter with the exception of a very few oddball exceptions, think of themselves as a future champ, whether it's their first fight in the UFC. I mean, listen to Amir Al-Bazi after getting a sketchy decision yeah. last yeah. weekend against Kai Car France. He's like, I know I'm ready for, you know, the, the title. It's like, dude, we're not even sure you were ready for Kai Car France, but yeah, I'm a name off gets a win out of the weight class first UFC win. He calls off Volkanovski. He calls off maybe the best fighter in the sport. Yeah, you you do you, man. But also, you know, speaking of Alexander Volkanovski, you don't think Max Holloway is just thinks he would beat Volkanovski if he got a, a fourth try? Of course he does. Everybody thinks that they're a future champ. Nobody thinks they're the gatekeeper. So I, I always hesitate to call people that, but Ige is the perfect example. He is eight and five in the UFC. And aside from a weird loss in his UFC debut, he's lost to Calvin Cater, Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett, and Movisar Evloev. All top 10 yeah. fighters. Yeah. And either, either top five fighters holding steady or top 10 fighters who were on their way up at the time. Yeah. Everyone else he's handled. And has some really good wins in there. I, I, th I think he's the perfect gatekeeper to the, to the featherweight top 10, his limitations as a striker have been exposed uh, against classier strikers. Like Calvin Cater really, really put it on him. Just mm. uh, a, a better boxer, you know, with, with good reach. Ige was frustrated all night. <clears throat> Landwehr. I mean, I understand like I, I like the Nate Landwehr story. He he is a guy that he's kind of one of our guys because he he's kind of like a country fried Darren Elkins. And Elkins <laughs> is already pretty country fried, but where Elkins gets beat up and usually comes back with like his wrestling and grappling, uh, Landwehr comes back with surprisingly good single shot power in his punches, or you know he is capable of, of wrestling and then beating people up from from top position. But that's kind that's kind of his thing. Uh, I just. I think that's rough sledding against Ige, who is a surprisingly good wrestler uh, against 
people below the Calvin Cater level. Uh, I think he's a excellent uh, kickboxer, good power. I, I think is in a promotion where almost everyone's power is overstated. I think Ige's power is a little understated. Uh, when he hits people clean, you can tell they really feel it. Uh, I I mean, Landwehr's best chance here is to get beat up for a round and a half, hope Ige starts to get tired, get frustrated, or make mistakes. And I just don't see that happening. Ige hasn't really lost any fights he's supposed to win in the UFC since the Julio Arce fight all the way back in his debut. And here, I think he's just going to be way too much uh, for Landwehr. Given that Landwehr can be hurt at this point, I mean, he's he's 34. He's got a lot of fights under his belt. He's been hit clean a lot. I'm going to say that Ige gets him out of there. Give me Dan Ige by second round knockout here. Yeah, wow. Um, it's funny talking about Dan Ige. It, yeah, I agree with him. Like, I, I also hate using the word gatekeeper just because it has so many meanings. Like, is it gatekeeper to get in the UFC? Is gatekeeper to get top, you know, 10? Or is it gatekeeper to the title? You know, so so I'm also – I try to stay away from that a little bit. Um, but <laughs> I've – kind of forgot about Danny Gay because he's been so inactive lately, which is funny because he was the opposite when he first showed up in the UFC. He was always fighting. Mm-hmm. And lately, I mean, I know it's been injuries and different things, um, but I thought he was so much older than he is. He's only 31. Yep. So he's still at his prime um, based on age. Now, he's taken a lot of damage. Um, I, I go back to like the fights like Edson Barbosa, Calvin Cater, Chan Jung, Josh Emmett, most of our those are the guys he's lost to. He took a lot of damage in those fights. So um he's he's an older 31. Yeah. Uh but he yeah, he's still good. I mean, he presses the action, got really good volume, he's got accurate punching, uh, throws combinations, loves getting into the pocket and unloading some big shots. He likes to counter he has this like counter right hook hand, uh left hook combination that he loves. Um yeah, you know, he got the knockout of David Jackson, but he was setting it up with some big body shots, uh, working the body. I mean, he throws heat, uh, whips his shots. I agree with you. He's got good power. Um, I mean, David Jackson was was on a nice little run, and he, I mean, he knocked him out beautifully. Um, he has the cardio to go hard all 15 minutes. Um, I, I mentioned he's got some strong leg kicks. Uh, he loves throwing a flying knee to close the distance. He's a he, you know, he's, when I think of wrestlers, I don't think of Danny Gay, but he's a sneaky wrestler. He's like, he's like, he's more of like a um, Jeremy Kennedy and Bellator type guy, where he, you know he's not the like credential wrestler, but he finds a way to get good guys down. Um, good timing on his entries. Uh, when the opponent, you know, opens up on their power shots, he's dropping on the legs. Just in, and then he's a good overall, just grappler, good top control, good ground and pound. BJJ black belt, uh, land where I like the Darren Elkins. I do, I do agree. He, he fights differently and his, his tools are different than, than Darren Elkins, but I, I think, um, I like the comparison where it's, it's pressure, pressure striking with insane output, just marches forward constantly on the gas, throws a stiff jab, hard teep kicks, uh, quick high kick, good hard calf kicks. Uh, but he has this like reckless abandon where he doesn't care about getting hit back. I mean, I go back to when he fought Darren Elkins himself and he was squaring up and they were getting tagged by Darren Elkins. Uh, he can, he can wrestle though. He can clinch battle. Um, 
showed very good takedown defense against Aaron Elkins. Um, and when he's been taken out, he, he pops right back up. Um, good sub defense if you hold him down. This is a really fun fight. Like I love Nate Landwehr's attitude. Is he's a lot of fun when he wins. He gets on the mic. He's a lot of fun. Uh, I I think this fight was going to live up to it. I think I expect a war. Uh, Landwehr always comes to battle, but Ige is definitely technically more sound, and he's very intelligent. Uh, I think Landwehr's style is is tailor made for an opportunistic fighter like Ige. I see Landwehr just walking into a big shot or walking into takedowns where he's over pursuing and he is just dropping down, getting like grabbing a single running the pipe or something. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the former. I'm, I'm going to say you get catches him with a big shot. I'm going to say he puts him out in the second round. I mean, so we both have uh, Ige by, by second round KO here, but safe to say that if Lambert pulls out some sort of third round finish, He's probably picking up the coveted F word middle name on the recap that night. <laughs> yeah, he could. He yeah. could join in, you know, Paul Craig and uh, Darren Elkins. In, yeah. In the <laughs> Dude, what is Paul Craig doing dropping the middleweight? Makes he, he almost looks like he should go up to heavyweight. He's he should go huge. the other direction. Yeah, yeah, he's huge. He's third from the top at UFC 289 is a welterweight matchup between Mike Malott and Adam Fujit. Malat, the 31-year-old Haligonian, is 9-1-1 overall. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he fought last April, knocking out Mickey Gall in the first round, came back this February at UFC Fight Night Moonies versus Allen, and choked out Johan Lainess also in the first round. So uh, Canada's top prospect looking to uh, keep his momentum going and standing in his way will be Fujit. The 34-year-old Oregonian is 9-3 and three overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC, though in his defense, his debut was last July in a short-notice uh, step-up matchup against Michael Morales. He made it all the way to the third round before getting TKO'd. He came back this February for his first proper UFC fight and knocked out Ku- Yusako Kinoshita in the first round at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Spivak. Odds here do favor the Canadian pretty heavily. He's minus 210, Fujit plus 170. Keith, one, can you believe that Mike Mallott used to fight at featherweight? It is ridiculous. Two, who you got winning this fight? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm surprised about that, yes. And um, I'll tell you, I'm winning in around about two minutes. Um, I'm... I'm gonna, I'm really surprised that this this fight is third from the top. I know we keep saying it over and over again, and I understand you know trying to make the the stadium happy, you know the arena happy with with the Canadian. But you know what would make them even more happy, like putting on a really good quality fight between two top fighters. Like you could find the entire arena, other than Mike Mallott's section, say, hey, who would you rather see, Mike Mallott versus Adam Fugit or the Korean Zombie versus? Max Holloway. Is anybody saying, oh, oh I want to see Mike Mallott versus Adam Fugit? And, and I'm not trying to dog these guys. Just, no. Like, this fight should be on the prelims. The early prelims. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, even if even if there is reaction, you know, if you're in Tajikistan and, and you got the Tajikistan fighter <laughs> on the main card and they're, like, crazy happy about it, cool. But don't forget about the rest of the world who's also watching, you know? Um. 
Anyways, back to this fight. Uh, my, my, even though I kind of almost like I was jabbing these guys a little bit, Mike Malott looked great in his last fight. So mm-hmm. um, he's a very good athlete. He moves well. Uh, it's funny. He, he moves his feet well, though. He doesn't move his head well. He, does, he doesn't slip as much. Uh, he's been cracked uh, in the past. But he works behind a jab. I love that he double jabs. Um, so we don't, we don't – I mean, Kai Car France was doing it uh, last night really well, but – in the fifth round, good pop though. Sometimes he can overthrow, um, leave himself a little off balance. He's an underrated wrestler. Like definitely wouldn't call him a wrestler, but I mean, he trains with team alpha, alpha male. See him and you're training with, you know, good wrestlers, you know, in and out of that gym. And he's a big time grappler. He's got five submissions. I mean, he, you see how, how great he looked in the submissions in his last, excuse me, in his last fight. Um, and he, obviously he's got that team alpha male guillotine down. Uh, Fugit Southpaw also likes to press the action, uh, though he does drop his hands a little bit, uh, constantly taking ground, staying busy by constantly throwing. Uh, when he sees an opening, he throws hard, uh, has some pop, a lot of kicks, loves teep kicks, uh, blends attempts, you know, takedown attempts with a striking well. Uh, he also reaches for takedowns, but he isn't a great wrestler. Like, he wants to get the fight to the ground, but he kind of struggles to get there. Uh, he has three submissions. Uh, Fugit is a guy that uh, he works hard and he puts himself in a position to win due to his toughness, kind of like a um, Jasmine Javicius that we talked about on the on the prelims, where a limited athlete, but they put themselves in a position, the best position to win. But I think Malat is just way more polished. Uh, I think he's a better striker. I actually think he's the better grappler. I think he's just better everywhere. Uh, I think he connects in a big shot, and I think he locks in a submission. I think we kind of have like a club and sub style. Uh, I'm gonna say Malat rocks that crowd, and I says I says he's the very first round. Give me Malat by first round submission. Yeah, I, the reason I mentioned the thing about featherweight Malat is ahead of his fight on the Contender series a couple of years ago when I when all the bouts were announced. You know, the UFC usually or you know uh, the company usually announces the whole slate. I was like, man. I wonder if Mike Malad is any relation to that guy that fought Hakeem Dawadu back in uh world series of fighting. And then I go look, I'm like, Oh, it's the same guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was very young. Like he and Dawadu were both young, both undefeated uh, at the time. And yeah, he's sort of come out of nowhere to be a mildly intriguing prospect. You, and you mentioned it, his submission game, like his, his grappling is definitely, is most it's definitely his best individual skill and it's impressive just how venomous and what a quick strike submission game it is like obviously he destroyed johan lanes he guillotined a not super high level guy on the contender series to get into the ufc but even in his last fight before the contender series uh he choked out solomon renfro in like a minute and a half Solomon Renfro is a really good fighter who is, I mean, he'll probably be in the UFC within the next 12 to 18 months. I, I he lost on the contender series, I think uh, a year or two ago, but he was really young. It was a split decision. Renfro is a really good fighter and Malat ran right through him. All of that spells bad news for, for Fujit. Cause you said it, he's a tough game guy who's decent everywhere and has proven himself adept at, putting himself in the best position to win his fights. But a lot of it involves him having to kind of weather 
his opponent's offense to get there. And I just don't think he does that against Malat. I think Malat hurts him on the feet, hustles him to the ground and finds something nasty in the first round. I have Malat by first round submission as well here. With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC 289. A lightweight matchup between Charles de Bronx Oliveira and Benil Dariush. Oliveira, the 33-year-old Brazilian, is 33-9 with one no contest overall. He is 21-9 with one no contest in the UFC. He is, of course, your former lightweight champ. He fought most recently last October at UFC 280, where he surrendered his title to Islam Makachev by second-round submission. Prior to that, he had won uh, 10 straight fights in one of the toughest divisions in the sport to pull off such a feat. Uh, Leading into the Makachev fight, his wins over Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Five of those by finish. One of the most incredible runs in the history of the sport. Uh, All that momentum blunted, obviously, in the demoralizing outing against Makachev. He's out to prove that he is still in the title picture, out to earn uh, a shot at perhaps winning his gold back. And standing in his way will be Dariush. The 34-year-old American is 22-4-1 overall. He is 16-4-1 in the UFC. He is on an eight-fight win streak of his own, making him uh, the owner of one of the longest win streaks in the UFC without having earned a title shot. He fought most recently at that same UFC 280 card back last October, where he took a unanimous decision over Mateusz Gamrot. And that brings him into our co-main event here. Keith, who's the favorite? Okay, the favorite is minus 135. The underdog is plus 110. Oh, okay, yeah, that's about how exactly how the line probably should be. Uh, maybe even closer. Uh, the favorite, I go Oliveira. The favorite is Benil Dariush. Oh, that's why I'm that's why I'm not a bookie. <laughs> uh, having said that, uh, tell me how you see this fight playing out, other than awesomely. Yeah, this is a fantastic fight. This is the best fight on the card. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's you know when they were announcing this card. You know, is, is is there a single person watching this card, watching our preview, that likes a fight better than this one on the card? Like, is, is there any, specifically the main event, is anybody more excited for Nunes no. versus Eldon? And I'm not trying to bash that fight. Like, no, not. not um, but this is, I mean, the odds fight. will tell you that this is a harder fight to call. And you know what? Because Dustin Poirier and uh, Justin Gaethje have already fought once before, this is on paper the fight I'm excited, most excited for in 2023. Really? I mean, obviously, there's more stuff moving to come forward. down the bike, but yeah. Mo- moving forward, you say, right? Yeah. Moving, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I Volkanovski versus Makashev, I was super excited for because I'm the biggest, yeah. biggest. I'm a Volkanovski guy. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm, I'm always just awe of what that guy, that guy can do. Uh, but yeah, this fight is as good as like if if I was coming up with a top ten list fights for the year, uh, this one's on it. Um. The one thing that I hate about this fight is why isn't this fight five rounds? It's only a three-round fight. That is unfortunate. Yeah. Especially because Oliveira is coming in off of, I mean, he didn't need all five rounds, but he's coming in off of several five-round fights in a row, and presumably whoever wins this is going to be in a five-round fight next. Yeah. I mean, they just did it with with, uh, Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns. They made that a five-round fight. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't this one? And um, like, like just let's just make it a rule. Like, if if you have two fighters in the top five, they should be uh, should be five round fight. Just make that a rule. You know, by the main event, co-main event. I don't care if it's prelims. If you have two fighters in the top five, they should be in a division. They should be in the in a five round fight. Anyways, uh, let's get to the actual action. Um, I'll start with the former champion Charles Oliveira. He he's a great athlete. He really is. High volume pressure kickboxer with long, lengthy strikes. So deceiving is his power. Now I think a lot of people talk about how hard he hits, but it, it wasn't always a narrative. And the reason why he doesn't really load up. I mean, he just tags clean, short shots, and, and he, he hurts guys. And he's very accurate. Good jab. His straight right is dangerous. Um, he's got these those powerful hooks. I mean, his left hook has has dropped a lot of people. Uh, he also uses uh, you know his, his check hook as as a power punch, which a lot of guys don't do. Like he's trying to hurt you with it. Uh, I love his step in knees, which he, he throws because he doesn't care if someone catches the catches them and takes it down. Now that that might not be the case in this fight against Benil Dariush, but I mean I'm just talking about generally speaking. And just mean kicks, kicks everywhere. Um, I mean, he beat up Justin Gaethje with team kicks up the middle. Uh, he has defensive issues. He's, he's always has, uh, you know, due, due to his very Muay Thai style. He's a very stationary target, standing tall right in front of his opponent. Um, he's been hurt bad in so many fights, but he has inc- one. I mean, we've talked about this. He has historic ability to recover. And um, not give up, which was not always the case. Which is kind of ironic because when he when he got hurt from against Makashev and Makashev's going for submission, you, you kind of said, "Okay, this is where Charles Oliveira gets hurt and he survives." And, and that wasn't the case. Now uh, he's also open to leg kicks because he you know he stands up tall, kickboxer, but he's got a strong clinch game. So, like we think about him, his his overall submission threat, which is is the greatest in UFC history. I mean, he's the most submissions in UFC history. But he doesn't get enough credit for just how good of a wrestler he is. He gets in the clinch and he gets inside, body locks, judo throws, foot sweeps. I mean, he's really slick. Um, he in now he won't fight off takedown attempts himself, like just which is crazy that he's just willing to go down on the ground on bottom. Mean ground and pound. Um, obviously, we talk about his submissions. Like he he can lock in a sub in any position, top bottom, in scrambles, in a second, um, and you know, like. He, him and Brian Ortega remind me a lot of the same, where it, it, things could be going bad or it doesn't seem like a submission, and then next thing you know, they are on a neck, squeezing. Uh, he also has great sweeps. He's on bottom, um, solid ground and pound. And, like you know, cardio was an issue back in the day when he was featherweight. At 155, you know, obviously if he makes 155, it's, it's always been an issue. But cardio is there. Like, he can go hard. And he's got really good experience. To big fight experience. Uh, Benil Dariush, uh, Southpaw, who's also very aggressive on the feet, high volume. Um, like it's like a it's a it's a controlled volume. Uh, and his power, his we I just talked about Charles Oliveira's power. Benil Dariush power just like just showed up like unannounced one day, and you're like, whoa, holy shit, Benil Dariush is starching guys. And that wasn't never his game. Uh, he wings this powerful overhand left, just cracking dudes. Mean kicks to the body. Uh, I love his high kick, you know, from the southpaw stance, the orthodox fighter. I love his step in knees. I mean, he beat up 
Matus Gamera with some with knees up the middle. Uh, he's still very hittable. He keeps his chin a little high in the air. Um, he's open to leg kicks due, due to having like very long, deceivingly long legs. Um, he's been knocked out himself. I mean, I think it will, you know, it's been a while, but like Alexander Hernandez knocked him out. There's been some couple other knockouts in there. But the thing that I think of when I think of Daniel Barrios, besides his, you know, elite grappling, is just he's a, you know, we think of big guys in the division, you know, but Neil Darius is not the guy, the first guy you think of, but he is. He's huge and he's physically okay. strong. Yes. Um, I like, you know, you think of like someone like Justin Gaethje. He's a big dude, strong. Just Dustin Poirier, extremely strong, like historically strong, huge. When I saw when I met Dustin Poirier a couple of times in person, he mean he looks like a light heavyweight. He's huge. Like, you put him in a squat rack. I'm, I'm betting on ben, Benil Darius. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um. He he loves he loves that close grinding slapping titties in the clinch affair, and um, I go back to like Scott Holtzman fight. He batted him inside in there, and he's a really good wrestler. Uh, I mean, he showed phenomenal takedown defense against Matus Gamera, who's a really good scrap you know wrestler grappler himself. Um, and Darius's grappling is elite. I mean, you're talking about multi-time Nogi world champion. Um, I mean. We can talk about Oliveira being the greatest submission artist in UFC history, based just statistically based on the submissions. Uh, Darius is the more credentialed grappler in, in the world of BJJ. Sure. Um, he's a topside grappler, some super slick back takes. I mean, you go. I, I keep bringing up his, you know, the fight against Gamera because it was, you know, just happened. But I mean, the scrambles him and Gamera had were absolutely amazing. Um, what I love about so Oliveira is is that Brian Ortega very opportunistic, jump on something, soon it's there. Darius reminds me of, I want to say Damian Maya, but not, he reminds me of a Glover Teixeira. Where Ooh, he, I, I like that. Where, like, he doesn't, he gets it down. It, it, and a little bit of Jelton Almeida, uh, you know, it, it's a little unfair because Jelton hasn't really reached, you know, he's kind of the new kid in the block. But I mean, like, he doesn't rush it. He's so controlled when he's on top. And he obviously has eight submission wins. This is an insane fight. I love it. I almost like don't even want to pick a winner because I don't want to disrespect these guys because that's how much I respect both these guys' games. And I, I'm, I'm I'm such a fan of both these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not be? You know, um, I think we have a war on our hands. I expect both guys to be landing hard shots. Um, it's weird. You you know, both guys are really good uh, uh, strikers with power. But I, I, I'm always hoping we don't get a quick knockout or something like that. Spectacular. I want to see some scrambles between these two. Um, but because of that, it's not often when we get a grappling battle. But I'm going to favor Darius in in the grappling. He's he's the, which is weird. Oliver is a huge guy, but like Darius is bigger than him. Um, yeah, you know, I might not be taller in this, but I mean, just generally like his legs and his, you know, his chest and his shoulders and all this. Uh, I think he's the better wrestler. I think he's the more technically sound grappler. Oliver is willing to also put himself in bad positions to make something happen. Like I can see him rolling for knee bars, stuff like that. And Darius will just control, get the top, very Russian, Dagestani style. Uh, So I think that's going to be the difference. And the other thing I – side note that wasn't my notes is Oliver has been in so many wars. I mean, we saw him get hurt against Marcus in his last fight. It's not out of the – possibility we've seen this so many times where a guy's the best guy in the world and suddenly like everything just falls apart 
like I'm not saying that's the case, and and I'm really hoping it's not the case. Um, it, it it is in my mind a little bit, like 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 that. Suddenly everything goes wrong. Chuck Chuck Liddell was the best guy in the world, and two fights later he was kind of done. And uh, Tony Ferguson and stuff like that. So I, I think Darius is just going to win the position scrambles. Give me Darius by decision. Yeah, I I love your breakdown there. And before I go into any of my own analysis, just a, a quick factual thing. I called Darius an American during the introductions. Should have said Iranian American. He was born in Iran, and I'm pretty sure he maintains dual citizenship. And if you're ever wondering what that cool white flag is that he walks out with, that is the flag of the uh, Assyrian diaspora. Look it up. He's got a, he's got them all he's got them all covered, huh? Yeah, he's got yeah got them all got them all covered. Um, he's a really a citizen of heaven. That's what he is. He'll definitely. Tell, he's he's uh, <laughs> as much as I'm joking. He would love what I just said. Oh yeah, he would he would love that. He wants yeah. to ride his his Tesla minivan yeah. like you know straight to heaven. <laughs> um, it is, and I'm going to say the same thing about the main event when we get to it next. It's hard to believe that Darius is the older guy in this fight. Oliveira has been in the UFC for so long. This uh, is his 32nd fight in the UFC. Yeah. Can I stop you there for a second? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yes and no to that. It, it's it's looking on record. Yes, it's yeah. surprising that he's older. Looking at their bodies, absolutely not. And their hair, because Darius has gone yeah. full. I mean, he's gone like me, like full, like salt and pepper, you know, yeah. in the last few years. He, he's past touch of gray. He's past oh, touch of gray. Like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, whereas Oliveira has circumvented that by doing like the Bond villain, like hair, like bleached hair thing that all the shoot box Diego Lima guys do. Uh, everything he said uh, about Oliveira is dead on. And I've given my little elegy to his legendary career more than a few times on these previews. But for those who are listening to this the first time or listening to one of our shows for the first time or the first time since Charles Oliveira's last fight, his is probably the most unlikely championship run in modern UFC history. There's no way you could have told me even like six years ago, around the time he was losing to Paul Felder and Ricardo Lamas, that this guy was a future UFC champ. I mean, he was already well on his way to being the greatest submission artist in UFC history that was a known strength, but the rest of it couldn't decide on a weight class, couldn't make weight in either of them. And he was a head case and a quitter. There's just no other way to put it. He has, I mean, he has a TKO loss via esophagus injury on his record where real talk, there's no esophagus injury. He got hit in the chest by Max Holloway and said, no mas. That was the that is people in the sport six you know seven or eight years later a, a guy that does that because it's not just that he beat good fighters to to win and and defend his title he broke unbreakable fighters he hey, broke hey, tony man. ferguson yeah so, sorry to interrupt you um you broke up for a couple seconds there uh, the last thing you said, like no moss, and then it went, it went like bad for okay. I don't know, fifteen seconds yeah. or so. If you just yeah. want to start over from there, yeah. It, and he said, 
basically said no mas that he, he didn't want any more of that a, a guy that does that isn't someone you project eight years later ruling over maybe the best division in the sport and it's not just that he beat great fighters to get there he turned from a guy that got broken into a fighter that broke other people he and broke unbreakable fighters we're talking about a guy that dominated tony ferguson that finished Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. And in each case, having to come back from adversity to do so. He didn't used to be a guy who came back from adversity. So add to the like mental transformation he's made, add to that the rounding out of his skills. He's gone from the ultimate glass cannon, a guy that was an incredible submission artist, but could also be out grappled and a liability on the feet to a guy that's, I mean, he's not as dangerous a striker as he is a submission artist. I, I don't want to overstate things, but he all of a sudden became a guy that there's no safe place against him. It's it's truly remarkable. Uh, the only comparable, and it's a very comparable uh, arc, would be Fabricio Verdum. But Verdum did it, and he was not as extreme a case, and he did it in, in an easier division to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, similar idea, one-dimensional grappler who's kind of a head case all of a sudden becomes a vicious striker too and has beaten the best guys in the sport. Yeah. That's it. And until he ran into Islam Makachev, that's, I, I mean, the, the sky seemed to be the limit. Now, having said that, you know, plenty of people saw him losing to, to Makachev. But my question is, is Oliveira in decline at all? And if not, if he's the same guy that, you know, fought Poirier, Gaethje, Makachev, what does Darius bring to the table that can really threaten him? And I think you kind of laid it out. It, for as long as this fight stays on the feet, either guy could finish this easily. They're, they're both really hard hitters with a good diversity of offensive techniques, like Oliveira, probably a little more diverse, but both of them can throw a variety of strikes. All of them have power and both of them have their occasional defensive lapses on the feet. So, mm -hmm. you know, Darius has been knocked out badly before. Yeah. He's also knocked out pl plenty of guys. If it goes to the ground, I think it's really going to hinge on the wrestling because it's going to, it's, it's finally going to matter how they go to the ground. Uh, if Darius tries to take down Oliveira and Oliveira just, you know, grabs a guillotine and pulls guard, if that happens sometime in the first half of the first round, even if they get out of that round, I'm not going to feel good about Oliveira's chances. Oliveira needs to be on top here. I like your comparison of Darius to, uh, to Glover Teixeira. Just a crushingly heavy guy on top who's very deliberate. He's, he's not stalling. He's not laying and praying, but he is securing position he is exhausting his opponent. Uh, he's landing strikes when he has the opportunity. He's constantly looking to advance position. He is a suffocating guy when he's in top position. And as incredible as Oliveira is off his back, I, I, I don't, I don't see him threatening Darius off of his back. I don't see him threatening him. Uh, I don't think I don't see him winning rounds off his back against Darius, like let alone finishing the fight that way. Like if he ends up on bottom position and he's doing stuff like looking uh, for, for leg locks, unless he's just doing it to start a scramble and get the hell out of there. I I'm going to question his game plan. 
Uh, I think Oliveira should probably try to da- damage Darius uh, in the clinch. He's nasty from the Muay Thai clinch. I think he shouldn't be eager to go to the ground. And if he does go to the go to the ground, I don't think he should be conceding bottom position. I, I don't think Darius is a guy that he can beat just doing regular Charles Oliveira things that have worked on some other fighters. I, I think Darius is that dangerous. Aside from that, I really was, wish this were a five-round fight as well. I think that would tell us a little more about both guys. I, If he is going to get a title fight soon, I'd love to see Darius in another five-round fight. As it is, just three rounds, I'm leaning Oliveira. And I didn't expect that I'd be calling an upset here. But give me Charles Oliveira and... I'm going to say plays it smart, manages to keep things on the feet and uh, hurts Darius with kicks. Maybe, maybe start softening him up with kicks to the legs, kicks to the body, and maybe scores with something upstairs, hurts him really bad, and then finishes it with strikes on the ground. Give me Oliveira by second round TKO here. Hey, you know what? You talked about uh, Charles Oliveira, like the turnaround. Think about this, this run by Darius is on. Go back to this three fight skiddy ad. Edson Barbosa getting knocked out by flying knee, followed by a majority draw with Evan Dunham, and then getting knocked out by Alexander Hernandez in 42 seconds. And go back to when he got knocked out by Alexander Hernandez, that moment, and say that guy's going to go on an eight-fight winning streak and put himself in pretty much probably the number one contender matchup. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah, it's kind of like the same thing know. as you have with Oliveira. Both these guys are really unlikely to be in the position that they are. That, I mean, that three-fight run has not aged well. I mean, Edson Barboza yeah. was still Barboza. incredible at that time, but he's he's a, he he has gotten yeah, older. Got old. Yeah, the draw with Dunham, that was that was the last. Like Dunham lost three fights after that and, and was done. Like he yeah. never won again. And then Alexander Hernandez is literally just still in the UFC right now because of that knockout of Darius. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a great point. That brings us to the main event of UFC 289, a women's bantamweight title fight between defending champ Amanda Nunes and challenger Irene Aldana. Nunes, the 35-year-old Brazilian, is 22 and 5 overall. She is 15 and 2 in the UFC. Of those, uh, she is 12 and 2 at bantamweight. She fought most recently last July, where in the headliner of UFC 277, she got back her Bantamweight title from Juliana Pena via dominant unanimous decision. Pena, of course, had dethroned her in the most shocking upset of uh, 2021 in uh, December of that year. So uh, looking to defend her newly regained title for the first time, admittedly in the final few fights of her career, it'll remain to be seen whether she defends the Bantamweight title again, decides to defend her featherweight title. But for now, the task in front of her is Aldana, who steps in in the place of Pena. Uh, It was supposed to be a trilogy fight uh, on about eh, seven weeks notice. So not exactly short notice. Aldana, 35-year-old from Mexico, is 14-6 and overall. She is 7-4 and since joining the UFC as a former Invicta FC title challenger. She is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, 
she most recently appeared back in September of last year, where she knocked out Macy Chasson in the third round with a rare upkick to the body. Prior to that, she had a first round knockout of Yana Santos. Prior to that, uh, for her last loss, you have to look all the way back to October of 2020, where she dropped a unanimous decision to Holly Holm in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 16. Odds here, I've already let it slip that Nunez is the favorite. No surprise there. I've already let slip that David Dvorak at minus 500 is the biggest favorite on this card. So, Keith, tell me this. It, Nunez as the favorite, is it minus 100-something, minus 200-something, no, no. minus 300-something, or minus 400-something? It's, it's either 300 or 400. It definitely. Uh, I'll go, like, negative 380. It is minus 325. Aldana plus two fifty. Yeah, so actually, it's actually much closer than I thought it would be. But okay. Uh, tell me how you think this fight plays out. Yeah, it's it's an intriguing fight. I mean, we talked about it on the in the intro. Uh, It's a it's a better fight than uh, Nunez versus Jalen Pena, which is ironic considering Pena has a win over Amanda Nunez. You know, um, just for stylistically, I, I think it's intriguing. Now, if I'm a man, you know, it's like I don't know how many fights she has left, but if she wins this fight, um, I'm 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 fighting. If I'm man, you know, I'm fighting one more time, and I'm fighting Jordan Payne. Just to I don't want to have her having that. We both have one win over each other. Like I want to win that trilogy. Um, but I mean, I mean, one of the the big stories in this week that you know I've seen so far is that you know, Mexicans can't lose right now. There's, there's, there's something in that water going on. So, yeah. uh, you know, and Manunez, she's, she's been a little inactive too, you know, having babies and stuff. And, um, uh, I mean, I know, I know she didn't give birth, but you know, just yeah, doing the, the time off and then yeah, yeah, yeah. time off. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, a man. Like I talked about Alex Volkanovsky, like, like you attract to greatness. And and Manuness, I mean, there's there's no debate. She's the greatest female fighter of all time. There's there's, there's not. A, I won't even hear an argument for anybody else. Like it's stupid. There's just certain people that like if 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 they haven't convinced you now, they they'll never convince you. If you if you're arguing Manuness isn't the greatest female fighter ever, then it's like arguing Tom Brady isn't the greatest football player ever, or or whatever. Fill in yeah. some other. Like you have, if you're not convinced by now, you'll never be convinced. She has beaten everybody in the conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's beat them all. Yep. So uh, she's a really good athlete, which she's a kickboxer that usually fights orthodox, but switched up to Southpaw in the last fight and looked absolutely fantastic uh, from the Southpaw stance against Gianna Pena. Uh, we've, I've talked about this before. She has those like long Kamara Usman arm frame where it's deceivingly how long her arms are. She has fast hands, though I do believe I'm seeing a little bit decline in her hand speed, which which obviously is going to come. She's 35 years old. Uh, she throws tight inside shots, uh, great variety of striking, can hurt you with any blow she throws, including a jab. I mean, she's dropped fighters with, her, with a stiff jab, deadly straight right, deadly left hook. Um, now I love the check right hook from the southpaw stance, you know, if she decides to do that. Uh, she can land power shots while being charged at while, while she's backing up, which is very few fighters can really do. Um, she, and it, it goes down to her vision. Like she's, she's 
looking, she's aiming and she's, she's connecting. She sees everything coming. I mean, she's the hardest hitter. I I, want to say this, like we think about like hardest hitters in MMA history. And of course we always think of the men. I mean, just, you know, Francis Ngannou and, and uh, who am I thinking of? Um, Derek Lewis, the Anthony Rumble Johnson, but like pound for pound, I mean, it is right there. And I, I, and I, I don't like comparing a man, women, you just, you just can't do that. But like, Based on her resume and what she's done, I mean, she, you know, she's one of the hardest hitters in the history of the sport, regardless of gender. Um, and another thing, she doesn't get enough credit for her kicks. Like she throws hard kicks. I mean, she dropped Pena with the first kick she threw. Uh, she knocked out Holly Holm with a, one of the most beautiful high kicks you've ever seen in your life. She's also an underrated wrestler. Um, she doesn't look to wrestle a lot, but when she does, she's strong on top side. Uh, hard to take down because of how wide her base is. She's a Brazilian just a black belt. Um, the one thing, I, one thing I'm concerned with her is a little bit is her cardio. Um, in the first fight against Pena, she was slowing down, and we didn't see that in her last fight. And we've seen a lot of fights where she's been able to fight deep, but she's getting up there in age, so it's a, so it is a little bit concerning, especially for someone who throws so many hard shots. Uh, Irene Aldana, she is a, she's a striker. With her hand, she's definitely like a traditional boxer, a high guard uh, defense. Uh, she likes to pressure. Uh, she likes to force her opponent on her back foot. Though she does struggle a little bit with cutting off the cage. That's why she she struggled with the, the movement of Holly Holm. Uh, she's accurate. She's got you know good accuracy, throws straight shots down the pipe. Her left hook is definitely the punch you had to worry about. Uh, that was the one she caught uh, Ketlin Vieira with. Uh, the one that if she Catches him in and is most likely that shot. Uh, she 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 lacks head movement and she backs straight up in the center line. That's a little concerning uh, in the boxing range. Good kicking game, large kicking like arsenal. Uh, she uses those long legs from distance well, but a you know not much offensive grappling. She'll sneak, sneak in a takedown here and there, but definitely not what she's looking for. Um, but she's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, Holly Holm took her down like five times. I mean, Holly Holm was like Bo Nickel out there, <laughs> taking her down like five <laughs> times. Um, I mean, even her last fight is concerning. You know, we all remember that like spectacular like up kick to the to the you know uh, liver, which was incredible knockout of Macy Sam. But Macy Sam was that was a close fight heading. I mean, I, I think oh, I think it was the third round. I think I had like one round each. And Macy Sons on top and, and and leading up to that point, or or it might have been sick, right? I, I apologize for more from the rounds, but uh, Macy Sazan, who was having a lot of six with her grappling too. Uh, so, but Irina Dodd, she does have three submissions on, on a record, so she is a little bit of a submission threat. Um, I'm a little worried about Nunes. I really am. Um, if I was a better, I wouldn't bet this fight, or maybe I'd, maybe I'd, Sprinkle a little something out there, but it would be on on Aldana in an upset. Uh, I'm worried about Nunez's motivation. Um, we haven't really heard much from her. She's kind. Of, I mean, that's that's kind of been her thing a lot, especially lately. But um, you know, she has a family. She's accomplished everything you can imagine in sport. So, you know, you wonder what gets her to get up in the morning and train as hard as she can. Like, what motivates her? And and she, I do think she showed some signs of decline. I mean, we saw it a little bit in the Julian, the first fight, Julian Pena. Um, I still think she showed some signs of of slowing down in her second fight. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this is the beginning and the end of Amanda Nunes. 
uh, I, I can see Aldana cracking her, um, you know, with the left hook or just outboxing her. And, and you know, Nunez's defense starts failing or her, her head movement isn't as good, something like that. However, I'm not guessing. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying that it could be. I'm not guessing that's the case. I'm not, I'm, I'm not betting on that Amanda Nunez is, is, is done or anything. So, so don't take that out of context. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's a possibility that wasn't there two years ago, three years ago when you were picking Amanda Nunez fights. Amanda Nunez still hits so freaking hard. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me if Amanda Nunez has one of the most spectacular knockouts of her career. Like, that's definitely uh, a possibility. But my prediction is going to be a lot different than I think a lot of people in the MMA world is going to do. With all the skills Amanda Nunes has, she never gets enough credit for her fight IQ. No, she, I get it. When you see Amanda Nunes, you're seeing speed, you're seeing power. You know, that's what obviously jumps out to her. But but she's a smart fighter. I mean, just like the little adjustment she did in the Juliana Pena fight was was brilliant. I think she plays it safe. And I think she wrestles Odana. I think she wrestles Odana a lot. Um, I think it's going to look like the Jermaine Deronomy fight. Now, Jermaine Deronomy was this great kickboxer who, I mean, if, if Amanda Nunes stood up and, and swung it out with Jermaine Deronomy, like, I think it was a very good chance that Amanda Nunes could win that fight, uh, just swinging it out like she does with a lot of people. But she didn't even bother taking the chance because she knew she was so better on the ground. I think we could see the same thing. I see, I see her go, you know, she, she could outstrike Aldana. She could starch Aldana. But I think she says, why even take the chance? I know I'm better on the ground. I think she arrests her. And I almost took it like a late submission for Nunez or maybe some you know, late stoppage from ground pound. But um, I'll say Aldana makes it to the decision. Give me Nunez by unanimous decision. I love that you brought that up. Uh, same as for... Charles Oliveira that we just talked about. I have some general observations about Amanda Nunes that if you've been listening to these previews for two years, yeah, you've probably heard it once or twice before, but considering that every fight we see her may very well be her last, I'm going to subject you to it one more time. I'm going to name some victims here. Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey. Oh, it's incredible. Valentina Shevchenko, Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy, uh, Julia Budd. He- here you go. Amanda Nunes has a stoppage win over every woman who has ever held a title in Bellator or the UFC in either of the divisions in which Nunes fights, except Pena. Pena is the, the only former champ in either promotion in either division that Nunes has not finished. But she, she still, had, has a win, still has a win over her. Yeah, and a dominant win, win at that. Nunez has an under-one-minute knockout of the second-best featherweight of all time, Chris Cyborg, or the other of the two best featherweights of all time. So, some had, might say, some might, sorry to interrupt you again, some might say that the second-best female fighter in general. Yeah, yeah. she some, has... Or Scott Cooker might say it the best. She has an under... Uh, she has an under-one-minute finish of Ronda Rousey, probably the second best bantamweight of all time and probably one of the five or 10 greatest women ever to do it. All right. And, and, the biggest, and then she the also has ever. two wins over the greatest flyweight of all time, Valentina Shevchenko. Her her resume, <laughs> just to, to kind of put all the footnotes to Keith's statement that if you don't think Amanda Nunes is the greatest woman ever to fight, you're just flying in the face of the evidence. It is ridiculous. Yeah, you're just trying done. to be different. 
Uh, yeah. You did a, a wonderful job kind of laying out her physical tools and her skill set. Those physical tools and those skills combined with her fight IQ and just a little bit of nastiness. Like she's not oh, a dirty yeah. fighter, but she's once the door closes and the little you know pin goes in, she's not in there to make friends. They make her, I think, the nastiest phone booth fighter in MMA history. Like she's been what Vanderlei Silva was for about three years in pride for like eight years. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it, just, it, which is why, for example, the Felicia Spencer fight was such a shellacking because you knew that Spencer needed takedowns. You knew she needed to get them from the clinch. So she's just going to have to wade into uh. a minefield. Yeah. It, uh, I agree with you that the Pena loss was concerning. She, uh, maybe she came in overconfident. Maybe she uh, was trying too hard to get a highlight reel finish in the first round. For whatever reason, she gassed out quickly and Pena took advantage brilliantly. Because of that, I'm glad that she won the rematch the way that she did. Because if she came back and just flattened Pena in three minutes, the main question would be unanswered. Yeah, Instead, we saw that Nunes, same as has always been the case, has plenty of gas to go five rounds in a fight where she's dictating the pace. Mm -hmm. Like she was the fresher fighter in the fifth round of the Pena fight. Cause she was the one who had not been getting her ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Aldana is a very good boxer. You pointed out like, and she's one of the few fighters that's probably going to have a reach advantage on Nunez. I mean, she might mm -hmm. not. Nunez's arms are, are surprisingly long. But, you know, Aldana is going to be taller and I think the reach will at least be comparable and mm. throws straight punches and could actually use it to her advantage. Uh, she's accurate. She does have good power. She doesn't have Nunez power, but like her jab makes women pay attention. Um, but I agree with you. I, Nunez is too smart not to know where her best route to victory lies. And something that we've both kind of talked around this whole time is she has absolutely nothing to prove. Yeah. That's a good point. What difference does it make to her legacy, whether she chokes out Aldana in seven minutes or coasts to a 49, 46 decision? It make, it will make no difference whatsoever. The yeah. only thing that could affect her legacy one way or the other the only thing that could affect her paycheck one way or the other if, is if she finds a way to lose this fight. Because of that, I, I don't know if, if she will lean on her wrestling as hard as she did in the Deuteronomy fight, but I expect that she's, she'll use it as a safety valve or certainly if she has a hard round or you know is getting anything she doesn't like the taste of on the feet, like she may just use it as a safety valve and that round's over. Because I think if she gets Aldana down, I like that's all she wrote. She is a very good grappler. She's physically extremely strong. Aldana is big and strong, but still kind of basic on the ground. Nunez is a fantastic submission artist, but most of the people she's submitted were already re hurt really bad first. I, I, I can't think of a time where she really just went building blocks, like took somebody down, chipped away, advanced position, took the back, got, got the choke. It's usually she dropped somebody yeah, you know, jumped on them, and before they knew it was happening, 
you know, they were choked out, blood spurting out of their face. I'm thinking of like Misha Tate type thing. Uh, yeah, just to jump, jump in there, like she she took down Jermaine Deronomy for the entire fight and couldn't get a submission on her. So just add right. to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go Nunez by decision here as well. I mean, I could certainly see her getting a, a finish. If the fight goes the way I think, Aldana's going to take a ton of punishment. You know, if she starts to wear down, if Nunez starts taking her down late and starts really beating her up on the ground, I could see her getting a, a stoppage in the championship rounds. But uh, I'm going to say she wins by decision here as well. And uh, yeah, just one more little footnote on her absolutely ridiculous uh, resume. Yeah, can I, I just say something uh, before we close up? Of course. You, you talked about the resume and what she has to prove anything. You know what's funny? If she gets knocked out, say Aldana just has a night, she knocks her out, Manunez is done, she retires, never fights again. That shouldn't affect her resume. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't affect her legacy. Now there will be so there'll always be that one or two idiots out there that says like it's like the people who like hold things against LeBron James now and just yeah. oh he lost uh, when he was forty years old like yeah he's forty years old like you know and. and uh, Guys, I'm not trying to have a LeBron, Michael Jordan debate here, so please don't. Like, whoever you think is the best, I agree with you, okay? Uh, um, but I'm just saying, like, even if she does lose, it shouldn't affect anything. She's it's miles and miles ahead of the competition for the GOAT and all that stuff. So just want to put that out there. Yeah, I I, I agree, but... There'll uh, be some idiot somewhere. Th there will be. There will be. That's it. That is the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 289, Nunez versus Aldana. I have been Ben. He's been Keith. If this is your first time listening to one of our shows, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We do our best to bring you the, uh, the best combination of actual in-depth analysis, backstory, context, and the occasional side conversation into whatever that you'll find anywhere in the business. Please do like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. We're both good about responding. We definitely read them all uh, and appreciate going back and forth with you. But most importantly, join us on the recap. We will be live on the SureDog YouTube page about 15 minutes after the main event. We will talk about all 11 of these fights, talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something and the live chat is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends who hang out with us after the fights, and we would love to, uh, to have you join us. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy the fights.